0: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.
1: Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on
2: secure channel.
3: Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 400 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live on Tuesday, February 12th, 2019, and available for download or streaming on Friday, February 15th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Anthony. 400 episodes, and boy, do we have content to share with you. Kenna, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up?
4: Well, this is a very special 400th episode of Priority One, so things are going to be a little different today. We are skipping Trek It Out this week to make way for all of the other awesome content that we have to share. To celebrate our 400th, we spent the day at Cryptic Studios in Los Gatos, California, talking to the development team behind Star Trek Online. We've got some great interviews with content designers, artists, and producers, including an exclusive announcement about new content you'll be seeing in-game soon. We also sat down with GamePrint, the company that lets you 3D print your own ship from Star Trek Online. So stay tuned for all of that. But first, we're tackling the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery in our on-screen segment. We'll be exploring life and death in an obol for Caron
5: captains remember that those hailing frequencies are always open and we love to hear from you between episodes so please reach out to us we're on facebook at facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast we're on twitter and instagram at priority one pod you can even send us an email via incoming at priority one podcast dot com it's hard to believe it's hard to
3: think it's hard to fathom that we are celebrating our 400th episode. That is over eight years of podcasting total. It's remarkable. And so much of that could not be possible without the support of listeners like our patrons, people who have offered financial contributions through various modes to Priority One, including our Kickstarters and Indiegogos back in the day, and now, of course, Patreon.com. By becoming a Patreon supporter, you're ensuring that we can continue to produce the quality content that you've come to expect from Priority One for 400 episodes. Whether it's on-site content at a convention or visiting Cryptic Studios to bring you exclusive content from the game, without the support of our patrons, none of it would be possible. It's their financial contributions that keep the lights on and keep us producing a show from week to week. Now, of course, we understand that a financial contribution may not be in the cards, but there are other ways that you can help support Priority One Podcast. I say it every week. When you see us post on social media, don't just like the post. Be sure to share it. Spread the word that Priority One is providing weekly coverage of news from the Star Trek multiverse. Let your friends know that they can get that right here on the show.
4: And we want to give a special thanks to new patrons Lasseter and SFC. So, if you're wondering what you get for donating to Priority One, well, at $10 or more, patrons get early access to most, if not all, of our interviews from Cryptic Studios, days before they go live to the public. And in fact, some of them are up now. But we have other content to share to all of our patrons, including the newly remastered cutscenes from Star Trek Online, and those we've shared to all of our patrons.
3: Now, if you're listening, to this episode on Friday, the 15th of February, then please don't forget that on Saturday, the 16th, we are having a party to celebrate our 400th episode and raise money for Extra Life's partnership with the Children's Miracle Network and the Philadelphia Children's Hospital. This is a 12 hour event starting at 1 p.m. Eastern. The Priority One team, along with the Armada, will be live on Twitch, Periscope, Facebook, YouTube. And we'll have giveaways from all of our friends, like the Roddenberry Store, Star Trek Online, Gameprint, and others. Again, this is happening on Saturday, February sixteenth, starting at one p.m. Eastern. Come, have fun, play some Star Trek games, but most importantly, help us celebrate our four hundredth episode by donating to give children a fighting chance.
5: Now, let's see what's on screen with special guest Al Captain Gecko Rivera. On screen. Well, Captains, welcome to On Screen, where we dissect the latest episode of Star Trek. This week, Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 4, "An O'Ball for Charon.
4: On Discovery, Pike is joined by his Enterprise shipmate, Number One. She passes Pike a clue to Spock's whereabouts before they part ways, and Pike heads to his ready room for a staff meeting. In his ready room, Pike orders the Discovery to intercept Spock, and gives an ill Saru some time off to recover. Nearly at its destination, the ship jerks to a stop, and mysteriously, the Universal Translator goes on the fritz. The cause? A giant 100,000-year-old orb space alien, trapping Discovery and infecting her with the virus. In the Spore Lab, Tilly and Stamets are observing the spore alien that has presented herself as May, but they are soon joined by engineer Jet Reno, sent to isolate the spore drive from the alien virus. As a discharge rocks the lab, the trio become trapped, and the spore alien is freed, reattaching itself to Tilly. Back on the bridge, Seru helps Burnham fix the universal translator, but he's looking bad. A trip to sick Bay reveals that he is dying, suffering from what the Kelpians call Vahari, the death process, triggered by Seru's empathic abilities. But the diagnosis seems to inspire a solution to Discovery's predicament. The orb alien's temperature is rising, Spock is getting away, and ship systems are shutting down. But Burnham and Saru suggest that the orb alien isn't trying to destroy Discovery, it's trying to communicate with her. Pike agrees to lower shields and reroute power to communication, and Discovery is flooded with 100,000 years of experiences from the orb alien. Just before the creature dies, it throws Discovery clear of the explosion that would have torn the ship apart.
3: Back in engineering, Tilly is being sedated by the symbiote May. Reno and Stamets use cowboy medicine to fix a neural transmitter to Tilly's head. The plan works, and May tells Stamets and Reno that she's a Giuseppe, an alien civilization that lives in the mycelial network, and that Discovery is harming their home. When Reno tries to force May off of Tilly, it reacts by engulfing her, and Tilly is gone. In Saru's quarters, Saru looks terrible, and asks Burnham to help him die by cutting off his ganglia. But before she can, the ganglia fall off on their own. The Bahari isn't the coming of death, but a Kelpian evolution. We leave Saru trying to adjust to life without his fear sensors, and trying to come to grips about the lies his people have been told. Just before we leave the crew of Discovery, we find out that the exploding space orb has left us with new clues to Spock's whereabouts, and we will continue our mission. Next week. All right, let's um let's jump on in with some touchstones or Easter eggs that we might have found in this episode, calling back and harkening back to some old Star Trek episodes. Uh, Al, do you uh, <laughs> notice any Easter eggs or, or callbacks to older episodes of Star Trek in this episode?
6: Did I notice any Easter eggs? Um, always noticing. I, I I think the the Easter eggs I always notice the most are the audio. The audio cues because those are always going on in the background. I wouldn't know if I would call that an exceptional Easter egg. Re- remember that Nick called out forty forty seven percent? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was yep. that was a great one call catch from Nick when uh, I think I, I don't know what was it when they were pro was they, they were processing something and something was at forty seven percent. So that was a little forty seven call out. The, I just uh, have to
4: interject here for a second, um, because you guys are talking about Nick and Al and Elijah. You guys uh, you failed to mention that Elijah, you actually watched this at Cryptic Studios with Al and Nick. Didn't you?
3: I did. Yeah. We um, oh. after we went out for uh, dinner on on Friday night, we head we headed back to Cryptic Studios, where they were kind enough to let me watch the episode in the same conference room. So uh, Nick, Al, and Thomas uh, and I sat and ate some Girl Scout cookie thin mints as we watched the episode.
6: <laughs> <laughs> sure did.
4: <laughs> yeah, so this is this is happening in person.
6: I'm sorry. Carry on. That's okay. There was some. Uh, let's see. We had we got we got number one, and she's she's a she's a great cast for number one. I think it was a
4: big callback.
6: Yeah, that certainly is a big callback. I, I, uh, I wish we got to see more of number one. Her, 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 her her intro was short. I'm assuming we're going to see her again. as I mentioned in the, uh, just, just a little earlier, it was, there was an anti Easter egg because she ordered a, uh, a cheeseburger and I I mentioned this I mentioned this on Twitter but she, in uh, in in Desperate Hours she's a vegetarian and she's actually met Saru back when when he was on the Shenzu he he liked her his threat gangler wasn't triggered by her because she wasn't a predator but David Mack said that uh they didn't pay attention to that. So uh, and then the lively thread happened on on live about well, it's a, it's a replicator, so technically all the food is, is vegetarian vegetarians, like getting a veggie burger or a <gasps> impossible burger. But that... still I I don't know. Is it? <laughs> it uh, it's certainly if it's if in T N G it is. It's it's all synthesized, it's replicated molecules, so I don't know if TOS and Discovery Era... I assume it is because they replicate uniforms. We saw that sequence when it just generated a uniform. So I'm assuming the food is being generated the same way. Still, I think it's maybe technically correct, but I think it violates the spirit of it, of what he was trying to go for. I don't know. Did anyone catch any other Easter eggs? I wasn't really... uh, I don't think I recall anything. Uh, I was trying to figure out when they were analyzing the... um, the data they got from the space ball that's uh, it's a space ball it's a a
4: space ball ball. I wonder if we'll Uh, see more space balls in the future
6: uh, I I was wanting to see if what when they were listening to the data if if I, I didn't recognize what they were talking about if it was something new or something that I something obscure so I'd like to go back and check to see what was uh, what were they uh, what were they listening to it was about some war in the past or something
7: right
4: right i wanted to actually touch on um, number 1 cuz obviously she's the sort of biggest you know obvious focal point callback to a previous series of star trek i i felt really disappointed by her appearance because i really thought that she like she was completely superfluous in this episode sadly it was nice to see her, it was wonderful to see her. But um, one of yeah. the common things that I've been complaining about this series is um, uh, the obscene amount of exposition that's going on. And she literally comes on to say four sentences of an explanation, when it, the the result of which was was that Pike gets. Um, Spock's warp signature. She absolutely did not need to be there for that. She had there was no point to her even yeah, being she, here. She didn't. She and didn't move the. Really plot. She didn't move the plot
6: forward. Yeah, she didn't yeah. move the plot forward. So it's it's. Um, I, I I would have liked to when she was introduced that she would have done something awesome, kind of like Jet Reno did, right? Yeah. When we introduced yeah. Jet Reno, she has yeah. there's substance to why she's there. So yeah. I'm hoping they rectify that in the future.
7: Yeah, I agree.
3: A shout out to Shane Hoover, um, S.T.O. Shane. He calls out. Uh, pike mentions babel
6: and that isn't that an old tos episode uh babel so, is a, is is a, is a babel. tos yeah, yeah no, that wouldn't have journey to babel um, hasn't happened yet during to babel yeah
4: but yeah. It, you know it's it's he's he's referencing the 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 biblical story which of course pike is the super into of babel. i no, would not say he's super into the bible but he's into comparative religion so sure, that sure. it makes sense that pike would call
6: that out sure. the episode is also a callback to the biblical reference of babel as well it's not really babel if they go to it's just a biblical reference so no i don't i don't I don't know if I recall I wonder if, our, if the listeners saw any uh any Easter eggs in there there's
5: uh well for me there's I'm pretty sure there was a couple of Easter eggs with the languages that they were speaking. I know I heard at least one previously mentioned alien race. And there was also a, an Easter egg to the carpool karaoke episode because Tilly's favorite song that she sings to calm herself down is "Space Oddity,"
6: which they sang in the carpool oh, karaoke. Oh, they sang episode. it. In carpool karaoke. So, yeah. Ah, oh, nice. That's a, that's a nice yeah. meta. Yeah.
3: So, let's get into some of the talking points. So, Kenna, you already you just brought up uh, number one's lack of presence, to be, you know, mm-hmm. to, to be honest, yeah. uh, and that disappointed me as well. Let's talk, a, let's, let's talk a little bit about what goes on in engineering. Why don't we dive into that for a moment? Because a lot of things happen in this episode, right? You had what was going on on the bridge. You had what was going on with Saru. You had what was going on in engineering. I guess those three things, right? Yeah. I have, I have to a question. Say, yeah, go ahead.
4: Do they still have duct tape? Uh, in, in the twenty third century,
6: there's 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 certainly a, a good amount of pop culture references and colloquialisms in Discovery. I don't know. I guess they have duct tape in.
4: I mean, it's the 24th pretty useful. Century. I don't see why you'd get rid of it.
3: Well, make sure it's um, enforced with nanotechnology. It, that, it yes. could
5: also <laughs> it could also make the joke even funnier because it's such an antiquated piece of technology. Yeah. So she's Out. saying, oh yeah, I could fix that with the most basic
4: thing ever. (laughs) I love that whole sequence. I could fix that metaphor with duct tape or whatever it was. She said, yeah, it's just the whole thing is, is just, it was like laugh out loud. You get a You get a
5: real, a real Dr. McCoy vibe with her. Like she's like, she literally says I'm a gearhead, not a farmer in this episode. And that, that there's a callback right there. I mean, that's an Easter egg and she has quickly become a fan favorite. I think for all of us and for a lot of people. And I hope, I hope she is
6: on the show more often. I hope she, yeah. They, they, we still haven't met the chief engineer, so I don't know. Maybe she becomes chief engineer. She's also, you know, she certainly was abrasive, which is kind of a callback to how Stamets was kind of an abrasive jerk before. Mm-hmm. So like he's, it's like he's getting it right back in his face <laughs> after after all those years. But um, yeah, se- certainly she was being adversarial. She's yeah, she's definitely she's definitely a fan favorite. She she does a great job. I hope she's I- on more. Of her.
3: Before I forget, yeah, can some... we get the duct tape item in Star Trek Online that gives you
6: like a, an immediate heal <laughs> or weapons du- improvement? Duct tape and bubble gum, kind yes. of. Yeah, yes. Yeah. She fixed. She fixed something with bubble gum. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. That was really that was that, great. That's the one thing you want. We'll get you some duct tape instead of a uh, Section Thirty-One assassin drones. Definitely. We'll work on that first.
4: <laughs> Why is it okay that we drilled Tilly's head? I really, really hated that part of this episode. It felt like. it was a device to kind of to to prove again that this is a TVMA show uh, and also to to elicit like a a visceral response from the audience and I'm not sure it helped anything I really didn't like watching it especially not the second time because I knew it was coming I think it was supposed to be I think it was supposed
6: to be uncomfortable and it was it certainly was new (laughs) <laughs> it was
4: really violent.
6: It was it was violent and disturbing and and uh yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I think it would have been I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what wait, to say about I'm it, sorry. but it certainly was disturbing.
3: I'm sorry. Can I the the drilling in the temple was violent for you, but Dead Baby Head last episode wasn't a big deal for you?
4: <laughs> I got to be careful what I say here. Um th- Cause, cause no, this I was uh, shocked. No, no,
5: I, at the Dead Baby head. Yeah, that that was, that the, was the, I yeah, I the problem with the that. dead
4: baby head for me was that it was so like it was so fake to me. It was like, oh, of course, it's fine. Um, so it, no, it, no, the dead baby head didn't affect me. I, I know this is fake too. It's all you know, it's all theater. But where where the dead <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to utter these. Where the dead baby head sort of um, helped propel the plot <laughs> forward. <laughs> I feel as though the drilling into the temple kind of did, didn't add substance in the same way. But in I, that I,
6: I, yeah, I think they were just going for the desperation and just just the, this it was all part of the uh the jury rigging and jets kind of will just do what we got to do and use the tools we have to solve a situation. And they needed a medical thing. It's it's, you know, I mean, I suppose it was, you could have had the scene without it and just like, we'll just, we'll just hook you up to this thing. And you'll just, and we'll talk to it. I mean, it was certainly a powerful scene. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it was an emotional scene and it was, it you know, anything that, that elicits a strong response is, is. You can't deny its, its 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 uh its power and its effect, whether it is a positive one or a negative one. So I think it was meant to be upsetting. So they they did what they wanted to do. Was it necessary? I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it bothered me. It's it, you know, it bothered me that to watch it, but I don't think it bothered me that they did it.
5: I I think for me it's a moment that brings Tilly and Stamets closer together, and in oh, the yeah. long run, like in the long form of it. It's going to be one of those moments where it's you know it's a, it's a difficult moment that they were in together and that strengthens their relationship. They have really, really they have really so. bonded.
6: Yeah, they have really. Yeah,
5: bonded. and i I think that that I think that that's something positive that can come out of it in the future. And because that's in the end, like that's sometimes our favorite parts, or at least my favorite parts of the next generation or especially Deep Space Nine and and even Voyager, when you're at the end of the show, at the end of this at the end of the run of the show and these characters know each other so well and have been through so much together, it's that camaraderie, you know, coming together that is fun to watch. And I think we're getting to see these difficult moments that they have to that they have to go through. And that in my mind makes it even more exciting that we get to take that difficult journey with them in some respects.
4: So it's, um, it's good that you actually brought that up because that kind of leads us into the other part of the episode where we're talking about relationships between characters and we get a really deep examination of Saru and Burnham's relationship through his illness and then ultimately when we see the scene where he asks her to help him die. What did we think about about how that happened and also how does that feed into the story and what we're going to see going forward?
3: So there are two things that that scene reminds me of, and, and the scene I'm talking about is when he's lying on his in his moss bed, ready to die, and <laughs> which is so of moss. not
4: Starfleet regulation. I'm sure I'm certain of it.
3: Or it could be a bed of kelp. We don't know. And <laughs> she's asking for she, he's asking Burnham for assisted suicide. Yeah, we should not easily overlook that and and brush that off. This is. This is a request for assisted suicide. Kill me before I go crazy, right? Kind of thing. Cut off my ganglia. This reminded me a lot of the episode between Riker and Worf when Worf becomes paralyzed and mm-hmm. asks Riker to end his life. The whole episode is is about the conflict of assisted suicide, whether or not it is right or wrong or up to the up to the person requesting it. Whereas this one was like Burnham was like
5: Okay, I'll
8: do it.
3: Oh no, it fell off. So there was. Well, she st-
5: hang on. She stops first. She says she can't yeah, do it first.
3: Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's a moment, moment.
5: There's a moment that she she like can't do it.
3: Yeah, but it doesn't. It, yeah, but it, she can't do it because it, she's not questioning assisted suicide. From what I took from it, she's questioning, and she's a, she's sad that she's going to kill her friend. It's not a. It yeah. wasn't a. As, as what I'm doing right. It was. I am not strong enough to kill my friend, kind of thing. So there's that. Number two, that scene went way too long, dude. I think it, we went through an entire sleeve like, of Thin Mints before that scene was over.
4: It was like the end of the Lord of the Rings, the the Fellowship of the uh, no oh. the, the 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 end of the end of Lord of the Rings. It was it was just like that. It was like they asked Peter Jackson to direct that scene.
6: Al, do you have any comments? And
4: it's a good. I uh, <laughs>
6: Well, I, I I can tell you that I'm watching the responses on Twitter. A lot of people were, were were pretty hit emotionally hard with that. I can tell you my wife was crying the whole time she was watching that scene. So I think it resonated with a lot of people. For me, I, I already knew it was going to happen because of things that I know about that kind of ruined the show for me. I don't know everything, but there's some bits that I know. So, so I'm not a good person to ask because... It fell flat for me because I knew exactly what was going to happen. So, which I'm sad. So, I don't get to enjoy things the same way. It's like when my friend uh, ruined the, uh, oh, what, whatever it was, third grade or fourth grade. Oh, no, it's whatever. And, uh, he told he saw Empire Strikes Back and told me that Darth Vader's Luke Skywalker's father and completely oh, ruined spoiler that. Alert. And <laughs> and I'm, spoiler I'm, alert! I know. Spoiler alert! <laughs> I know. I, I'm going to be that guy. Comple- I'll never have that moment that everybody, every everybody ever had when they saw that show. So I can't. It's hard for me to comment on on what on what it was, but um, it it certainly I, was okay, so- uh, certainly is advancing is really advancing something very important about the Kelpians as far as Easter eggs. Uh, it was kind of, the whole episode was self-referencing to the Kelpian short, to the Saru sort that mm-hmm. we saw a few months ago. Uh, um, so there was a lot of reference there about what happens and obviously, uh, obviously there's some mystery to this that they're going to be uh, exploring, which I think is going to be exciting.
5: There were moments where I thought that they were going to kill him off and i was very getting i was i was beginning to prepare myself to be very upset about that and very angry but when they didn't i was very surprised that they made this big of a change with that character and i and i think you know as al probably already knows um i think that there is something big coming and I can almost guarantee you, we're probably gonna revisit his planet in this season now. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that character changes and how Doug Jones portrays that change and and how that informs the rest of the story. As far as the scene goes, I think where it goes to the story, at large, I think that we needed a reason for Michael to go to reach back out to Spock because at that point, prior to the scene, she wanted to help Spock, but she didn't think that she should be the one to reach out to him and help. Right, and I think that this really uh, cemented the fact that she needs to make amends in that relationship, that no matter how bad things are or how far things go, that family does matter and Spock is her family and she does need to not only save him from what's happening, but to reach out to him and mend that relationship. Which, which, in my opinion, I think is only going to lead to worse things in that relationship, by the way. Probably, I mean,
3: I, you know, the, the thing that the, the, his, a, his asking and requesting her to mend things with Spock felt forced I felt that that scene between the two of them really should have stayed between the two of them. Like, they are, in fact, siblings um, or have become siblings. And so hmm. I kind of felt that the, the, the moment he started, he said, and go mend things with Spock, it just kind of felt that writing felt a little push to me. No, but, no. but because when, I, yeah, yeah,
6: yeah, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Go on. Go on, Anthony. I think you're going to say exactly what I'm going to say.
5: When, when, you're, when, when you're close to death, like, and even, you know, Ash Tyler even says it in season one, he says, you think of your regrets. And one of Saru's regrets is that he, at that moment, when he thinks he's going to die, he did not go, he's, he has not seen his sister. He is not been able to go back and see his sister because of the decisions he's made and he he knows michael burnham well enough that he sees that same conflict within her that because of the choices she has made she feels like she cannot go back to spock and that's why he is saying look i'm about to die i know how this feels i don't want you to feel like that and so he encourages her to mend that relationship yeah i i agree with that i think that's that's exactly what i got out of that can we just I think i think it worked can we, Can we have start? Al on more often? Because he's the only one that agrees with me about stuff. <laughs> the, the other
4: thing... I, <laughs> that is not true, Anthony. I completely disagree with your assessment of that situation. <laughs>
0: well, you would. You would.
3: <laughs> uh, let's just take a moment to shout out Saru for his Palpatine moment as he begin, begins to heal and rub his hands together. And is like, <laughs> I feel unlimited power. <laughs>
6: I got to say... Whatever your thoughts on Discovery or on this episode, the actors on this show—they're—they're they're all doing a brilliant job. I'm—I'm I'm actually rewatching it right now while we're chatting just to look for reference. But Saru was fantastic. Burnham was great, and Tilly again, knocking it out of the park. Just Ugh. you know, just just her range is just stupid. It's so crazy. I didn't notice it so much because I'm watching it right now. Watch, watch when she, you know, when she gets when she does a little exorcism thing and she starts talking as as the. As what's her name? May. May. Watch her face. Her face changes to May. The way she talks, just just her way she moves her mouth. She moves mm-hmm. it just like the other actress, the other actress did. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, she's just completely channeling this person who we know nothing about, right? And we've only seen this person on it. like she's probably had a handful of lines, and it's immediately you recognize it. She's just, and while she's in the chamber, and and you know, uh, you know her anxiety, and and it's just. You can just feel it it's she's in that all the time i don't she's a gem she's i i hope that beyond discovery that she just ha- that she gets that she continues to just get no- noticed and recognized and has a long career because she's a fantastic actress
3: i 100 percent agree and it's interesting you bring that up because my only i hate to say it but i feel as if though the weakest link in the cast Man, this is gonna. Oh
5: my God! Are you no?
3: Oh, Uh, I know. Oh my God! Somebody's gonna. Are you gonna say Burnham
7: with
4: her two
3: facial expressions? I am. I am gonna say. (laughs) She only has
4: two facial expressions.
3: Yeah, yeah.
6: I really. (laughs) I'm sorry,
4: Sadiqa Martin-Green Green, who is definitely watching. I I don't think it's her, honestly. I think it's the writing.
6: Remember, she's 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 trained as a Vulcan. She is yeah. she is, she she's a Pinocchio character, right?
4: So, the fact that she, she even has two is remarkable. Is that what right? you're saying? Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's
6: that's that's the part is that just like just like Vulcan, she is trained to suppress and she is learning to not. I mean, that was the whole point of like the the, the, the first season, mm-hmm. where did she act out of logic or out of emotion? She still doesn't really know, and so I think that she does a great job acting in, in this role. I think it's maybe the character you have a problem with, not with Sumigua mm-hmm.
3: It might be. It might be. And like what Kenna said, the writing too, because I, I want, I, I. It makes me want to rewatch The Walking Dead because I don't remember. They're different people. They're so different people. Yeah, they are. They're so very different people. uh Sasha to Burnham, but I don't know. It just, it just observing her. In, as an actor i just kind of want to go back she's, and, and she's, see what she's
6: what it, the she's the spock she's the she's the she's the data she's the, the pinocchio she's yeah i guess it she could does be the she's coming into her humanity right that's mm-hmm. that's the hot, that's part of her entire arc is understanding you know understanding this despite that she was the one to be bringing empathy to the spock family she's been trained to be logical and emotionless i love the way she i i love the way she's like i'm okay with the risk you know she is strong and that's and she she'll 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 get it done i i i like that get it done attitude and then and then the mission where she's got to she's she's got to put down saru and she just can't and she cries you i believed it all right so anyway the cast is fantastic i can't get enough of them on so, and off, on and, and in
3: front or behind the camera. I love it. Yeah, behind the ca- oh, behind the camera, most certainly. They are all. I imagine that, and I said this. I think I said this last week. I imagine that this is what the the cast of, of the Next Generation would have been like had the tools been accessible to them. Things like social media and and you know uh, live streaming and all these things. I I kind of get the sense that TNG would have been like this that, that cast Maybe those list.
6: those those guys were were were, were, uh, were rowdy. They still are, they're rowdy at yeah. <laughs> that T N G cast. And so <laughs> I don't I think this is this is a different energy that's happening. There's just there's a lot of joy and compassion in this group. Yeah. And well, I felt like T N G was there. they were they were having a party. it was different. So they certainly right. are great friends. They still are good friends, obviously, but I think that the energy is different.
3: So overall, the, one of my biggest—the problem I had with this episode—is that it felt remarkably episodic, in the there. sense
4: that—that's <laughs> right. Yes, yeah. it was.
3: Yeah, <laughs> this this episode really was could have stand can stand on its own. The ship, for the most part, the ship. Kind of is where, it, where we see it at the start. Now, there are it's exclusions to this. You know, they get the, the information from the, from the well, 100,000 years of information. True is sphere. not where we
6: started, and neither, is, and, neither right. is Tilly, and neither is Tilly. So I think a lot has changed in this episode, but it is definitely very episodic. This whole season has been far more episodic. I, I think that's probably a response to feedback from last season.
3: You see, I don't think that this season is more episodic than last. I feel like there was a tie in, even
6: in even on the It's not purely episodic, but it's more episodic. It is it is it is an adventure of the day with a through line through it, but it's this is an adventure of the day. Yeah, you they, see, they start were... they had this adventure and it's over. Right, right, and that.
3: and I, they were doing so well with the first two episodes and connecting the red bursts with with what was happening and how it was propelling the story forward. I wish that this interaction with the planet wasn't somehow it was, somehow was influenced by the red burst or the Space red. Control. I think
4: it will be. I think it will be, I'm, and it's funny because that you say that because you and I actually had this discussion face-to-face <laughs> this weekend. The the same thing that you ha- count as a criticism, I actually think is one of the best parts of this episode. I love the fact that it stands alone to a certain extent, but that we also see a little bit of progression in, in a few of the characters and a little bit of progression towards this issue of finding Spock in the red bursts, etc. Now, mathematically we can't do a red burst episode every episode, because there's 14 episodes and there's only seven red bursts. So you've got to get used to that, Elijah. <laughs> do the
7: math. It's every um, other do episode. Do the math. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, um, but it's really, but I do, I find it really interesting that the exact same, the exact same thing that you are criticizing about this episode is one of my favorite parts of it. It's just I, taste.
5: Yeah. I, I liked this episode, but I felt like the crew did in that I just wanted to get to Spock. And this space ball was holding me back and I love all the character development because that's my, you know, that's my jam. I love the feels and I love, you know, the emotions of the characters. I just, I felt like Pike did where something's got my ship and I want my ship to go I wanted this show, I want this show to go to Spock, and this episode didn't get me any closer, any faster, so I was slightly frustrated in that, but at the same time, I felt like that was effective, and that it kind of brought me more into the episode, because mm-hmm. I felt like the characters did, in a way,
6: so. Well, this was definitely a character development episode, I mean, this is obviously about two relationships. What I would have done different, is that, is at the end, when when they get the data, that, I mean, at the end, they said, oh, we learned, now we know where Spock is because they saw it saw Spock. It's like okay, so that's they learned that. But if they had learned something about the Red Angel, or had learned something about the about the red dots to to so that way, oh this was worth it because we yeah not just that we caught 200 you know 100,000 years worth of data but we actually learned something that progressed the plot that progressed that progressed the mystery so if they would have revealed something then that probably would have taken out some of the anxiety that you're talking about about feeling less episodic would tie it in a little more Um, we don't know if it will tie in more in the future but currently it didn't tie in it was tangential i Um, would have
3: been i would have been happy to have very at the very end, like Alec, you were mentioning at the start of this, how he, they're going over the whole war thing. I would have been happy if Pike said, oh, we just uncovered that this thing has just a throwaway line, even one line. You know what? This was all worth it because the computer is currently parsing a bunch of data red, collected red, about the red, red spots. Burst, you yeah, know? a bunch of
6: red burst data. Yeah, In, it's, instead, got, it's got inverse tetrion radiation and it's now we can track the signals better. Hang on, let me write that down because that sounded really good. Instead, <laughs> instead
3: we get this throwaway line about these wars that we may never hear about unless it's a really good idea for Star Trek Online to do that as a story. You know, oh, just-
6: you better believe those are the kind of things that we're looking into. Right, right? When, right, when right. The, we're all about just looking at uh, uh, loose tangential threads in all of Star Trek, so yeah, I'm going to be paying attention to that. We'll see where that goes, or unless they have plans for it. So. But that's the kind of thing we'd love to dig into.
5: Are you saying that
6: there's a space ball TFO confirmed for stuff? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Everything you see in Discovery, as soon as they are done with it, we, you will see in Star Trek Online. At some point. Including space we we'll Including space balls. We'll, we'll learn, learn more about the space balls and some origin about them. Um, that is something I would have liked to learn more about the space ball. Um, maybe we'll learn more about it in the future. But every time we've we've seen a cosmozoan, I call it cosmozoans in Star Trek, whether it's the Geckley whales or the space jellies or gum 2 or the crystalline entity we usually learn a lot about their life cycle about what they are and how they where they exist the Titan novel actually expands on it even further one of the Titan novels I wanted to learn more about this space ball it was unclear to me um, when you're looking at the space ball like there's things moving in it and then when it explodes there's even looks like little mechanical rings and stuff so it looks like this part they mentioned something about it being organic and organic but it actually looked partly mechanical so uh, uh, hopefully we can learn more about let's see let's see he says here the war between the quaternary star system and the wari imperium lasted a solar century so i never heard of that so and
3: i don't um, want to hear about it i want to hear about what how no. space ball giant red well, I'm just balls. saying it's not
6: an easter egg from something that's happened in the past oh, i'm right. aware of and so maybe so so maybe we'll use that one day
3: <laughs> space balls the stow episode
6: <laughs> <laughs> where the real
3: um, money is made
6: yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey, here's 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 one thing that um, I forgot to mention. Um, the uh, what is she? Security officer from from the Enterprise. Well oh, the uh, commander. Uh, well, Nan. The horse. Yeah, non. She wore a uh, she wore a skirt. She wore a disco skirt. In, oh, that's in, right. In uniform. Yeah. You know, I
3: didn't even notice that.
6: Yeah, they haven't they haven't gone out of their way to call out her race, but it's pretty apparent that that it's the you know the race that was in uh, that was in TNG. Barzan. Barzan. Yeah. I'd um, like to know what those things are if they're a breathing apparatus or something. They're just uh they're
5: born with um permanently messed up teeth, so they have to wear a retainer I, for their entire lives.
6: Is it a retainer is a giant space retainer? Yep. I just thought it was yep. like I a horse it. a horse thing so you can like, you know, steer them oh okay. the, like a, like a bridle bit or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> It wild. looks like it looks like the thing you put in the horse's mouth. I mean, they, the their their
5: sense of direction is so bad, even their wormholes can't get the other end right. Like you never know where you're going. Never know. That's yeah. There you go. That was great. Trekkies oh, love that joke. That was, I got that it. Was,
9: that, Thank
7: you. Thank you. <laughs>
3: Well, Al, I wanna thank you for joining us on the live recording of our four hundredth episode here on Priority One podcast. Thanks for talking about Discovery with us. It's it's so awesome to have you here and take a you know, deviate a little bit from what we usually talk with you about, which is Star Trek Online. So I think thank we covered you.
6: that. I think we pretty much covered that a couple yes, days ago. So I have nothing else that. to add. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. sir.
3: So thank you so very much, Al. We really appreciate it.
6: Uh, it's, it's my pleasure. It's fun. I always, I always uh, check in on you on, uh, on Tuesdays. And I said maybe I should say hi. I says, no, nah, I'm just too tired. But I had nothing going on, so uh, I left work early today. I had to go and get a uh, steroid shot in my hand, so I left work early because I was in pain. and oh, I had no. to go to the doctor. So. so, lucky you. I got a steroid shot in my hand, so I'm, so I'm well rested to join you. And it's always a pleasure.
3: Well, thank you, Al. Thank you so much.
5: That's it for this week's on screen. Now let's head to Cryptic Studios for some time with the developers of Star Trek Online.
4: Security clearance level three or above is
2: required to access files.
8: This is Captain Benjamin Cisco. Authorization: Cisco Alpha One Alpha.
2: Logs accessed.
8: And
3: our next interview here at Cryptic Studios is with the ship design team and with concept artist Hector Ortiz. Now, before we get started, let's ask that everybody go around the table and introduce themselves so that we can put a voice to the name.
8: Uh, I'm Donnie Versaja. I uh, am the newest member of the ship team. I started out on an environment here at Cryptic and uh, moved to the ship team in October, having a lot of fun with it.
9: So uh, and, uh, yeah. I'm Thomas Maroney. I'm the lead ship and UI artist on the game, so I handle... Um, I'm lead uh, ship artist, but I also oversee the UI art that's done for the game.
10: Uh, I'm Ian Richards, and I'm a ship artist. All right, um, Hector is a um, concept artist.
3: Great. So let's, um, you know, we've 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 spoken to several of you over the course of uh, the last seven years. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, let's talk talk a little bit about the design process of a ship. You know what? I, I'm more specifically curious now that we are. Celebrating Star Trek online's ninth year, you know, there are a lot of Federation ships things that we've seen before my and please correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like you guys now need to really start getting creative right more and more, you know, opening the minds (laughs) of players and Star Trek online fans to to expose them to concepts that aren't not are not necessarily canonical. So why don't you tell us about what it is now what it's like now developing and designing a ship nine years into the game
11: actually this this whole uh, all the JJ movies even the, and the TV shows we're having right now they help really a lot because uh, there's a the thing about if you, you're in a video game right and you do the ships and people accept them. but if they see them on TV actually, they, it is, for them, they have more canon value, mm-hmm. and then you can take uh, those things that are happening right now, those design queues, and I can start integrating those into, into our game, plus our stuff. And then from there we, we can get to to new things. new things. Right. New things. It's, it's not easy, it's right. not easy, but it's, it's actually doable.
3: Now, Hector, do you, like, as, you know, as you watch something on, on television or in a film, do you just take it upon yourself to draft up some kind of concept and then present to the rest of the team and be like, let's do
11: the ship! Sometimes I have an idea, a clear idea. But most of the time, it's, it's, uh, it, it starts as a group effort. We, we sit and we, we decide which I, I present them, I don't know even how many, my, how many sketches, and we decide what, what, what parts we like of the shape. And then we assemble the shape. Sometimes we have one shot so that you, I just go ahead with one design and we just work with it as we go along, maybe. But uh, usually it's a team effort, yeah.
9: Yeah, and we'll come at it with, generally, an idea of, oh, we're going to make a 2410 version of the, the shepherd class seen in Discovery, right? And the, we just announced that today, actually. So we'll start there with some parameter, oh, it has to be a battle cruiser. it has to be a carrier, you know, etc. And then um, from that sort of outline in general of what the, it needs to do in the game, then, then Hector will start on it and do a bunch of sketches, and then start refining the concepts um, from from there.
3: Now, Donna, you, you mentioned earlier that you went from environment now to ship. What's that transition been like for you?
8: Uh, it's been
9: uh, pretty good. Um, I, yeah, uh, I. Mean, I, I start- <laughs> You're asking while his new boss is sitting right,
8: <laughs> right. next to <laughs>
7: you. Um, It's awful.
8: (laughs) (laughs) Actually, uh, well, I I guess what I like about ships is that it's more focused. Uh, Environment is a very uh, broad uh, job here at Cryptic, and um, I've always been more keen on the uh, of just modeling great assets uh, and making them look as props and stuff. Whereas environment was like entire scenes and entire worlds, Uh, which is fun. But I prefer the more focused uh, tasks of, of making ships. I get to spend You know, rather than spending six weeks doing a billion things for environments, I get to spend you know two or three weeks doing one thing, Um, which I I don't want to oversimplify it, but it's 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 been a kind of a breath of fresh air, just being able to like focus on making ships. And ships are more, you know, like environments are great and they help tell our tell our story, but ships are what the players you know pay for. They're the characters of the game, so it's a little bit more. Prestigious to work on ships, you know, because that's what uh, that's what makes the money, I guess. But, um, but yeah, it's been nice, and it's also just a joy working with uh, Thomas, who's you know probably a bigger Trek fan than I am. But yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> 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 but we're we're on the same page of like we're really passionate about Trek and uh, and just design philosophy of ships and, and stuff, and Ian and Hector as well. But uh, it's been really great uh, just just working with with, with Thomas.
3: Now, Ian, you've been with the team for how long now?
10: Mm, almost so eight, seven and, a half almost years. seven and a half years. Yeah, seven and a half or so. How
3: how is it for you now? You know, after having how many ships is it now? Over six. Uh, uh, yeah, the game. I think game, we're like five hundred, yeah.
10: including like fleet ships yeah, and stuff right, like that. Right, but right. I've made one hundred and eighty-five ships, yeah. like with unique geometry. Right. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a lot. lot. So it's a lot. We're
7: designing.
3: <laughs> so you know, of course, Hector talks about uh, and works with creating the concept art. Is it usually one person gets a ship or does one ship bounce between the team in development?
10: It's always been one, as far as I have been around. Um, Very rarely will something happen, if someone goes on vacation or someone gets sick or whatever, someone's needed for some other part of the project, then sometimes someone will pick up the reins on a ship. But that's very rare, I'd say. So yeah, usually it's from from start to finish, when the ship is ready to go, it's just one person.
4: So you're doing everything from like the architecture and the actual model to yep. all of the the skins, the textures, yeah. the lighting, everything to do with it. All as one person. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it's a big um, job.
10: The the only thing we normally don't do is the effects work on ships. Mm-hmm. So if it has a special console or or whatever. Um, we started doing some of that more recently, which has been fun. But yeah, for the most part, it's, it's everything from the ground up, unless we already have a material for a ship, right? We we've made the one tier, you know, tier six Federation material. All those ships are going to use the same material, so I don't need to remake that for every ship.
3: Donnie, what have you? Uh, what was your? How long have you been with the ship now?
8: I started uh, beginning of October, so uh, five months now, almost six. Which so. uh,
3: have you had? Have
8: you had a ship completed and published? In uh, game yet? The Vulcan Scout Ship from Discovery that was uh, just released uh, a few weeks ago, I think. Yeah. Uh, that was my first ship when moving to ships. Previously, when I was on Environment, I did kind of little guest stints, I guess, on ships and did the Miranda and the. Uh, the Shinzo, but the Vulcan Cruiser, and then the, the pack that's coming out uh, next week has two of the ships that I made. Uh, so the Gagarin and the Shran. Uh, the Shran I actually got to concept myself, which was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I mean, they, they both turned out pretty good, I think. So
9: yeah, it's been a lot of fun reinterpreting Discovery designs into the style of Star Trek Online. And after he's done a little bit of that, and, and then I got to do a little bit of it too, um, it's cool to try to bring Discovery under the broader kind of umbrella because visually the show is very disconnected from the rest of Star Trek, right? I mean, um, and so us, what's weird about Star Trek Online is that we have Kelvin Timeline stuff that sits right next to TNG stuff that sits right next to TOS stuff, right? And now we've got Discovery stuff in there too. So uh, finding ways to aesthetically tie all that stuff together and make it feel like it does come from the same universe has been challenging, but um, but we really enjoyed doing that, and I think the, the fans respond to it uh, pretty well.
4: Um, actually, Ian, this was going back to something that you mentioned about the effects on the ship. So it surprised me a little bit that that's not part of the actual ship design. It sounds like somebody else works that. So if you have, um, you know, ship effects, how does that dovetail in with what you guys do? Are they tailored? Are they for every ship? Or um, it, or, how, how does it work for the, the person who's developing that effect? Right. If that makes um,
10: sense. So, the reason that we, we don't generally do that is because it's a very, usually, very dis- different discipline. Mm-hmm. As much of a difference as a content designer is a systems designer, they have some of the same shared skills. You know, like I know how to use Photoshop, so, does, so do effects artists, right? But a lot of the intricacies and the details of it aren't really the same, and they don't really share systems, so it's just a totally different skill set mm-hmm. to do the same thing. Um, sometimes ships share effects, like an engine trail is pretty much the same from ship to ship. <laughs> Every now and then we'll make a variation, but then it's just a variation. You know, some ships, um, have, have they, they look like a big variation, but it's actually just a texture swap. Whereas it comes to console powers and things like that, it's, they're usually tailored to the ship. And sometimes there's a version for the specific ship it was made for, if that power can be used on a different ship, then we might make a variation of that, like the sticks is an example of that use the power on the ship, it plays a special effect on the ship, The a minor variation that plays on any other ship you use the console on. Um, so but yeah, it's just it's a different skill set, it's just something I've been kind of just enjoyed doing here and there, I've been doing it kind of for fun as a hobby for years, even before I started working at Cryptic, so it was kind of a nice transition to be able to do a little bit of both, and it's it's helped with the feeling of ownership over a whole ship, you know, getting to sit down with the designer and actually be like, alright, what's this thing gonna do? It's not just gonna shoot a laser beam, it's gonna do something cooler. <laughs> you know, this laser even has lightning, awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, so
4: how do you get the, the, the development of those two things to, to match up when you're working with somebody who's not immediately on your team? So you're you're trying to maybe it's an existing effect that needs a variation for the, the ship that you're designing. At what point do you guys start talking and start saying, Okay, it needs to look like this on this ship?
10: Well usually as early as possible. Um design may have a basic idea of like what they want, you know, mm-hmm. this like Hector was mentioning, like, we, we need a battleship for this, you know, and we want this battleship to have some cool broadsiding power or whatever. So that's kind of like the basis. And we, we try to sit down in a room together or, or go to each other's desks and talk about it. When it, it's time to actually start working on the effect, usually design, well, hand me an example, a description that they have, the idea of what they have. And it's usually very vague and usually a sample power. Oh, you know, this power shoots, shoots a beam that hits an enemy ship and it does something. Well, we already have a few powers like that, so we'll kind of use those as a basis. And that's kind of a, a good starting point. If it's a projectile with a travel time, or it's an instantaneous explosion, or whatever, there's usually samples, the game's robust enough now where pretty much any new idea is going to have at least some aspect of it with a basis in something we've already created. Yeah. So, we, as with any game development, we try to save time by starting from points we've already, we're familiar with and just communicate as much as we can. You know show each other the stuff we're working on and if something comes up that needs to be fixed changed adjusted then you know we're just we're just trying to communicate a lot and over communicate if possible
3: i just pulled up the post for the new ships and i need me what is the what, which one which one is which is the shran the shran's is... the little baby ship the gargarin
2: is the prettiest ship we've ever made
3: oh my <laughs> god <laughs> that, that
7: gargarin is
3: Gorgeous! <laughs> I want that shit! <laughs> and it's tier six. Oh, and it's a battle cruiser? <gasps> oh my god, that is gorgeous, man. Okay, right, so you, you designed the... G- H-
8: Hector designed it um, with input from all of us. Um, and then I modeled I mean, it's it. it's mainly
9: Hector, let's be
8: real. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, that's one where we all sat in a room and we all said what we liked and didn't like. Right, and, right. and we all kind of came up to a on a consensus. And... Uh, I mean, there's also Bill, our art director, who's you know kind of got a final say in everything too. So yeah, Hector designed that, uh, and then I modeled it, uh, and we used our 2409 texture set for it.
3: Okay, Hector, talk to me about the design of the ship, because you know we, we've when, when talking with you all over the years, we've spoken about how every, Federation ships, in particular, have a sort of uh, sort of form factor, right? A, a, a familiarity to them. This one certainly has it, and yet, man, she's sleek. I'm loving the ship. Tell me more about it. Tell me about, you know, the so, iterations and, and so, your
11: inspiration. Actually, the that one, the the full lower section, the whole, uh, I did it more or less thinking of the discovery. Discovery shapes like this triangle, big triangle thing. The thing is that we had to take some cues to make that ship to make we had to make some cues from the Discovery Ship. What was the name of that ship? The Shepherd. The Shepherd. That's the It's a six uh-huh. uh Shepherd. Yes, exactly. So I had to do we, my, my, my main job was to adapt that to our the thing we're doing here in STO. And, uh, huh, what, what else can I say about that thing?
3: I mean, what I, per- yeah, uh, I particularly uh, like the hole, right? The, you know, that, that I see that triangular, yes, uh, the top side of the ship and the cells are boxy yet sleek, is yes. kind of how I want to describe it?
11: Yes, because uh, uh, that, that, that's what happens when, when I get some of the discovery, uh, kind of has take, which is really rigid, mm-hmm. straight lines, straight lines, straight lines, straight lines. And then you bend those lines just a little bit, just a little bit, not too much, so it doesn't look all wobbly and stuff. It looks still straight and and, and, and stocky, but uh, and but uh, that's how we make this uh, new our STO kind of look. Yeah, it's uh, we have swooping lines and stuff, but we have also this this straight. On that one, also I decided to integrate these two lines in the center because then those two lines I was I was gonna use in the in other ships, so we can make them more visually cohesive. Right, right, right. So those, I don't even know if I'm gonna make use to those two columns in the center again because I want
8: them to to be there. That ship was a lot of fun. It's a little reminiscent of the, uh, the thing I like about it. It's reminiscent of the uh, sovereign class. Yes, Z. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. yes, um, yes. And Hector did a cool thing. He concepted out the, the nacelle caps. The fronts are actually translucent, and you can see like more inner machinery of the nacelles. Get inside. Out of here. So he concepted that. We were like, oh, I think we can do it, and uh, we got it done. So just uh, yeah, it's a neat little. Yeah.
9: It's fun. I mean, the, the detail level on the Discovery ships is pretty insane. Um, mm-hmm. These days, we're putting about thirty thousand uh, triangles in our models. Uh, for comparison, at launch, the limit was eight. I
10: think. I mean, that was pushing it. When yeah. I started here, it was if it's a player ship, seven thousand was a hard maximum of seven thousand triangles for player ship. For NPC ships, it was three thousand. Wow. So now we're we're more than ten times that. Yeah, you know the rent, the engine has been upgraded since, and yeah. computers have gotten better since then as well. Right. So those two together really help. A lot with what we can put into ships yeah
9: so, and it's cool because we we basically need that much detail to get people the discovery the canon discovery look they expect but that also means the original stuff we do like the the ship detector design and it can also be that high level detail so kind of our own sto original ships are looking more and more like they belong in movies and tv shows just add more subtle details to them and I think it's uh, it's been a great to see that evolution happen
3: you know we we do now have Discovery on, on television you know we're talking about how you know Discovery has a bit of a very boxy look to it very rigid look How communicative and how open is the dialogue between the people who are designing Star Trek Discovery ships and your team? And are you sharing assets? Is it just you know, like for instance, if the Baran were to make it into the game, and I really hope it does. Do you you know do they send you those files and then you import them somehow into Star Trek Online?
9: So uh, the models are are way too high density to actually use in the game directly. Um, we have a good relationship with an outsourcer named uh, Tobias Richter. Yeah. He's done a lot of artwork for Star Trek fan films and some Star Trek, like official Star Trek products and things like that. He and designed
3: Deep Space Nine. Yeah, did he did that. the
9: model for DS Nine for Victory's Life. That was kind of a trial run to see if a partnership with him would work, and it, it did. It worked out really well, and so we decided to start sending him some ships. So he's done a lot of our Discovery Federation ships, actually, for us. But it's it has, the ship has to be remodeled from from scratch usually. Sometimes you can go through and actually remove some geometry and, and kind of decimate it, but that can be just as challenging as rebuilding it from scratch, it just depends. Um, mm-hmm. That's just a tool, trick of the trade that the modelers will just look at it and say, oh, I think I can do that, versus no, yeah. I'm just gonna start over. On that note, with
10: some of the Klingon ships that we've gotten, Those it's, it was very clear that like certain parts of the ships were made by different artists. Oh, really? So they look at the way that they used the modeling techniques and they're like, okay, clearly this is by, by somebody else. They're two yeah. different parts, they're the exact same shape, but they're made differently,
7: yeah. Yeah. you yeah. know, because
10: the they're bash together, it's just like actual model, model yeah. makers did with practical models, is they'll right. take parts from other ships, and other, other concepts, see. and they'll slap yeah. them on, stretch them out, whatever, scale them up, scale them down. Fascinating. Yeah. So,
9: yeah. so we have gotten a lot of the original assets from the show, uh, from CBS, and we're starting to get some from Eagle Moss uh, as well as kind of an intermediary, because they're they're doing all of their uh their production run of you know discovery uh miniatures but they need those like a year in advance so they're getting a lot of their assets even before the ship shows up on tv Eagle Moss has the model from the effects house and stuff so um, it's, a, it's an ongoing relationship where you know, we're continuing to build it, continuing to strengthen it. Uh, obviously, the Enterprise e, uh, F, excuse me, um, Eagle Moss just put that up for pre-order. Really proud and excited about that. Congratulations on that. that yeah. yeah. Um, I have a personal stake in that because I actually wrote the magazine. So, like, oh, the, the nice. article uh, that comes with it, um, I put that together for them. So, yeah, um, you know, something that we'll continue to do, uh, we, we don't really have any input into what they're doing right. you know they just kind of give us stuff that they're, we would love to have a conversation with them and talk to them about yeah. ships and stuff so you know if, if, if any of the people working Discovery listen to Priority 1 they come down and, and talk to us it'd be yeah. great but and they should be mm-hmm. listening to Priority exactly.
10: Exactly. 1 exactly <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on Discovery ships? I feel like on some of them I can see the our influence on them for sure the what influence on, on our influence oh, our, right. our own designs I can yeah. see I can see elements of them here and there kind of inspiring some variation right <laughs> but i like that they're they're giving us new templates of ships they're giving right. new pop plot- new arrangements of parts that we're familiar with um mm-hmm. and i like that they're they're adding more to the to the universe right. honestly um even if i don't like some of the ships you know there are more right and that's better mm-hmm. um than than just sticking with the exact same things we've seen before you know i'm glad that that we aren't just seeing perfect replicas of stuff we've seen in the past because you know the the future is now even if it's in the past yeah. Uh, the future is in the past.
4: Do you ever get to a point because I know that there's um, there's a certain sort of cachet to putting a canon Star Trek ship into Star Trek Online. Do you ever get to a point where you're kind of like, uh, we need to sort of eke these out because we're running out of canon ships. Um, and of course, the follow on question is, do do you feel a bit better now that we've got actual Star Trek in production that you're getting more to. To choose from in that way.
9: Yeah, I mean uh, Discovery coming out definitely was really helpful for us because we were running it we're starting to like, I don't know, we can do the Springfield from Wolf 359 or something and <laughs> everybody's just like what? Like, <laughs> it's like one or two people on the team know what that is and that's never good. So we want we want people to be able to fly ships they're excited about obviously and, and having Discovery on the air and having Discovery, frankly, in the first two episodes have like over a dozen two dozen new ships between yeah. the federation and cleon fleets so that's pretty incredible and that that really has been great for us it's also you
8: know like they were just saying our, our launch ships were like seven thousand triangles so there's still a lot of opportunity for us to go back and, and up res some of those older ships yeah. um i mean I, the, my first ship that i did for the team was when i was on environment was the reliant or the miranda class and that was an example of that taking a, a launch ship airship and then you know, making a more accurate version. So there's still, you know, there's still other ships in our game that are canon that we haven't touched in years. And yeah. and every now and then we'll get some free time or whatever uh, to, to go back and, and do some of those things. Yeah.
10: yeah, on that note, on the side, I'm working on a rebuild of the Centaur right now, which is pretty cool. It's, it's one of the Miranda variants in the game. If you have that ship, it's basically the if, the excelsior was a miranda
3: yeah so it's a kit bash yeah it was a
10: kit bash first seen in Deep space nine
4: from your guys's perspective what's the what's the reaction of players to when you actually upgrade because the the concept that i get is that players are actually really really pleased when you take an old favorite ship and you bring it up to modern standards is that what you guys are seeing as well that people respond really well when you do something like that
9: yeah yeah i'm um, i've done a lot of Uh, those upgrades and it's funny people are really pleased but it almost always immediate the immediate thing is like what about my ship like what what
7: (laughs) (laughs) every single time yeah yeah
9: Yeah, Uh, what are you
4: gonna make the fleet arbiter like super (laughs) spiky now right
9: but no uh, people love it and we love it because you know when anytime we polish up the game and you just sort of raise the the floor essentially of the quality on the game that's good and anybody coming in the game new they don't know what it used to look like they only know that it looks awesome now right so we see a, there's a lot of value in doing that to keep you know keep current players happy and to impress new players and just as artists we want to be proud of you know the individual pieces we make but also the game that we work on
3: i want to talk a little bit about the ui you know over the course of the last 9 years we have several options on ui you know you've you've updated it what if anything are you currently working on UI-wise in terms of, in any, in any aspect of the game? Really?
9: I mean, we, we, ha- we just released the Personal Endeavors. That was a huge UI initiative. We're doing some other UI improvements um, uh, soon, actually. But yeah, J- Joe can go more into that. Um, she she's, was a great hire and a great addition to the team, so I'm really excited to see what she's going to come up with. Great.
3: So, what about KDF? We have a community question. Another one from Just Bun One. Discovery Klingon content. Will KDF players uh, or KDF-aligned Romulans get to see fresh new ships and gear from the ongoing Discovery series? Yes. I mean, we're, with
10: the new pack, there's a right. couple, of, right? That's the Bird of Prey and the Coog. Yeah. Um, I'm sure. Two very cool ships, yeah. and I'm yeah. sure there'll mm-hmm. be more.
9: Yeah. Do
3: you? Equally share the load of designing Klingon ships, or is it like, who? All right, let me ask. Let me ask this question: Who gets excited to create Klingon ships? Oh, I
11: do. I love
3: making yeah. yeah. Klingon ships. So yeah. about it, yeah, <laughs> they're super, super
11: fun. They're <laughs> super. They're <laughs> super hard to design. They're hard. Yeah, yeah. They're definitely hard. It's extremely hard. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Andrew? It's just brutal, uh, <laughs> because Klingon ships uh, have a particular uh, language that if you if you push. Much suddenly st- stops looking clean gun and, and more like uh, other IPs, the modern IPs. So, so it's, it's difficult. Also, if you do a little bit, uh, a little things here and there, suddenly it starts looking at a little bit, a little bit more Romulan because of the wings and stuff like that. Klingon ships should look like weapons, like like hand weapons. That's the way I see it. Like, like it's a mix between animals and and, and blunt weapons or yeah. or, or edges, blades, something like that. And their shape are very particularly like a T T-shaped ships. And there's no, not too much room to go from there. If I do something else, it doesn't look like a Klingon, like a Klingon ship anymore.
3: Now, but what about the design from Discovery, though, right? Because those took a those turn took a real yes real far
10: departure from what
11: we what we've known. Well, those ships does. are more like if if you break it down visually, they're more cathedrals. They're more uh, buildings that fly. They're not actually they don't look like ships. Right. And I wonder where where do they want to go with this with this. Uh, Language they have right now, mm-hmm. because yes, they are ships, but they are more architectural. Nowhere. I
9: mean, <laughs> yeah. in the right. in the recent discovery episode, they they showed the D seven and right. said, you know, we're doing this now. Right. So you no, know, no,
11: there has to there has to be some some kind of reason. It's like in art, in 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 art, you have the rococo, which is really abundant, really tons of filigree here and there, and then suddenly boom, it's like Art Nouveau, and then you have Art Deco.
7: Right.
11: Art Nouveau was really swirly, really everything Celtic, you know, and and then Deco came out like blah, everything straight now. Something happened in between that. I mean, what
10: happened between Art Deco and Ernau?
11: Yeah.
10: Same things happened to Klingons, right? They had right. a huge cultural shift, they had brand new ships. You know, no, We, we the, saw their, all those ships warp in. They're all very yeah. different, yeah. So, so it, which I feel really pushed the whole... Yeah. All the houses are very different. Their cultures have been different long enough to design their own ships or make variations of their own ships that exactly, are different, yeah. right?
11: And then so Nubal being.
10: It's being re-centralized into a new design element, which yeah. is what we know are more familiar with Klingon ships. Yeah,
11: suddenly so they maybe they don't have the same resources. Maybe mm-hmm. this this kind of ship is gonna be seen as decadent or something like that, and we have to
9: to, to streamline it. Maybe we the, don't have the money. Empire
8: got a new art director. <laughs>
7: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if well, you
9: yeah. historically, if you think of it as like Tsarist Russia versus Soviet Russia. Oh yes, right, yeah. right, right. That's I think mm-hmm. that could be a really brutalistic yeah, versus the oh, the right, very modular, very like we need to we need to build you know two hundred d7s so they're gonna be as simple as possible. Yeah. Right. No so. one's hand carving the walls anymore.
7: Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no,
9: no. This is why I can see the
11: that this thing as as something that can happen. Yeah. yeah. It but, just even the sizes the screen ships are immense right now. Uh-huh. I have to cut on that. That's
9: probably the been one of the most challenging things with putting discovery ships in the game is the scales are so wildly different (laughs) from the existing Star Trek lineup that it really, it's sort of out of place to an extent, Mm -hmm. uh, with the sarcophagus ship being, you know, like 4,000 meters long or something like that, and and going down. And and even the Discovery um, uh, herself is, like... Longer than the Sovereign class, or about yeah, it's like as long, twenty yeah. something meters. But it, no but it only has like a hundred people on it, so it's just a it's just a really like if you put all of the Star Trek ships in order chronologically, now you have this really weird scale variation in the middle there. You know, like Enterprise is small, Discovery is huge, TOS is small. You know, you go. Mm-hmm. Go forward from there. So you've
3: done that, haven't you? you have a charge of that, don't you? Oh yeah, yeah.
7: <laughs>
4: And correct me if I'm wrong, but you you make some adjustments in game for practicality's sake, don't you? If it, it's not going to be exactly exactly, we actually
9: try not to as much as we can. Right. We, the inter- like we thought about when we put the Enterprise J in the game, making it smaller, well, that's but then the we one I was
7: thinking yeah, of. yeah, but
9: then we sort of realized like, but that's why people like it. That's why people would want to fly it, is that it's giant. This
5: is and so we
9: <laughs> we ran tests, like, OK, can you fly this ship <laughs> in the breach? And it is theoretically possible to fly the Enterprise J in the breach. And like, oh, all right. That, okay. was an actual, that
11: was the actual test, I remember. Yeah, yeah. No, I did that. Yeah.
9: I, and I, I had a thing where it's like I had five versions that were, you know, this is 100%, this is 75%, 80%, whatever. Can you breach it? And mm-hmm. so, but it went in the right size. I mean, we do, uh, we scale uh, our stations up quite a bit. So uh, DS Nine is a lot bigger than it is canonically, and some of that is just because it does feel weird to have a ship like the Enterprise J, or even some <laughs> of our larger like command battle cruisers and stuff. They would be about you know maybe half as big as DS Nine, which doesn't feel as impressive if you're flying right up next to it.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
9: So so that you know we fudge the scale up. We usually we haven't yet had to fudge it down uh, right. so much.
10: With small craft, we we scale those up as well. Because most of them, most small craft, if they were to scale, you'd never see them.
7: Right, right, right. They'd be be
10: the size of a window flying around. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
9: So, did DS9 fall under ship or environment? Um, the new DS9. So, kind of how that happened was we were doing Victory's Life, and the environment team. Donnie was on the environment team at the time, and they were re- rebuilding DS9 from scratch on the inside. On the, the inside, inside. Okay. yeah. And and the promenade was looking beautiful, and I was just really depressed because like, they did done all this work to to refresh that area of the game, and then the old model exterior model was just kind of dumpy sitting there from launch and, and no offense to the people who made it originally but it's like it's an eight year old asset right like it's just it doesn't hold up at all to all the new things we we're adding so i just went to you know i, I knew that tobias richter had made a high resolution ds9 model uh, for uh, what we uh, left behind, the mm-hmm. DS9 documentary. I think he made that for them uh, a while before, or he made it for like an attempt, a pitch for DS9 HD. Whatever he made it for, he had it. And I was looking at pictures of it and I'm like, dang, why can't we use that in STO? And then I realized like, oh, well if we, ba- if we actually used it as a-, a bake, we could. Like we could take the high detail and bake it down to a game resolution model. And so uh, I went to you know, I went to our bosses and I was like, hey, you know, we're doing all this work on the inside, can you give me some money to buy this model from Tobias and so we can put it in the game? And, and it, was, it was actually a pretty easy sell. And so I we went to Tobias and he was happy to help us out. And so he baked it down for us to a game resolution asset, but using the renders of the high resolution thing as a basis for those textures. So it looks, you know, it looks great. So usually, it is a great line though to actually answer your question. Um, it is a gray line for space stations, is it ships, is it, is it environment, because we um, space stations usually are things that you have to interact with, you have to shoot them or they shoot you or whatever, so that's kind of the data setup work that we do on ships, but they're usually big enough and need to be done by the environment team because that's just kind of how it's scheduled, and we want the ship team to be focused on actually building ships that people will fly or that are in a groups and stuff.
10: Yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some back and forth, like with the... Uh like the breach ship, the giant, massive both ship that I made a long time ago, mm-hmm. that for the most part is just an environment piece. So mm-hmm. It's no no real different from a mountain or a building or, or whatever. Um, but it is then using some of the, the same techniques we use for for character ships. Uh, so, you know, setting up points for effects to play off of, what firing points, you know, shield effects, that kind of stuff. Right. That's so there's there's a little bit of that mixing in. Thankfully, a lot of environment art and ship art, at least in sense of, of creativity is, is fairly similar.
4: So I wanted to uh, take an opportunity to ask another community question, and this one again comes from Reddit. Uh, Zoboraz uh, says, congratulations for the Enterprise F is about to come out as an Eagle Maw ship. If you had your pick of STO vessels to add to the collection, what would be your top three or just you know top one or two?
10: Any of the Federation pilot ships.
9: Yeah, Ian made those, and they're, I mean, I think they're <laughs> still some of our best, like, I love those things. Unique right. Federation designs that, like, are clearly inspired by Star Trek but have their own yeah, feel to flavor. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Giant, Hector, Hector versions designed, of the- did you design all three of them, Hector, or did you just design one? Because Sometimes when do, we do, a... I don't remember anymore.
8: <laughs> I think I looked at those when I was designing the, the Shran, and I think he designed one. It
10: was one main one that was fully realized as an illustration, and then a lot of the earlier sketches when we were, we had a big oh, sheet yeah, of things. Right. We're like, Well and we like this one?" and we like this oh, one. Oh, like, that's this how it was. One. Yes, and I kind of yes. went in through there and picked yes, yes. some parts right. and said, "All right, I want to make these without a lot of detail. We did a lot of sketches for that thing. Yeah, we went through a lot of work. We worked on work. that
11: thing. Yeah.
10: Yeah. I want to take a moment and talk
3: about for instance the small k-ron ship right the one with the big sticks yeah the sticks so obviously it's not the palace ship right it's not as large as the palace ship how do you go from palace ship to what we saw in the game you know sticks like what elements do you consider what was that process like
11: uh i remember Thomas was really into that turret the the tur- the, the bridge mm-hmm. we had to conserve the bridge we had to keep it yeah we had to keep it and we had to keep the the, the, the upper part of the thing the spine the spine mm-hmm. there, there were some elements of that ship that we had to conserve it's a long ship that's the first mm-hmm. thing it's a long ship and he has these elements on the top like castles mm-hmm. like, I don't know how you call those things.
9: Crenellations. Huh? yes, yes. Crenula- uh, yeah they're crenellations and in their buttresses yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah.
11: We had to keep those. And then we have, uh, and we, we, we had an opportunity to integrate some Discovery-style, more or less, nasals on the side.
7: Mm-hmm.
11: And uh, it, it was a bunch of opportunities that I just do, to to, to, yeah. to, 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 to do that. Yeah.
9: So, I mean, it, it ties into your question about scale. We really didn't want... I personally did not want to just scale down the Karen and offer it exactly the way it was, but smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't... I didn't... I mean, there might have been people who were fine with that, but I personally just... It just... That feels it gained right. to me because <laughs> it just it, it felt uh lazy i guess i don't know so we we were like okay well what can we do we still want to offer a karen like ship to people and then we kind of hit on the idea of like okay well if if the karen is the super star destroyer what's the star destroyer right like what's a smaller version inspired by that um but clearly not the like you know this isn't the emperor ship this is just some warlord has his own
6: or her own version. Yeah, another thing
11: is that yeah, the, the Karen, the interior ring of the Karen, has something that is like a city. I don't know if you noticed inside. Mm-hmm,
7: mm-hmm.
11: It's just there's a city with a force field on top of something like that. It would look bad if you shrink it down. Right. Yeah. right, right. So it's a shame they didn't with, portray that in the show. With a the bit Karen, more. we
10: had we had a new a new style of ship. A ship that was that was <laughs> right. very vaguely familiar, right? So we that, that's when we had to choose elements of that that were like very defining about it. Things that were non-generic about it. Right. and kind of pull it together. And, and, and then throw a little bit of inspiration from other ships we are familiar with. And I think the Oberth was actually the one ship that we yeah. said, but all right, this is this yeah. is a weird ship. This is the most similar to right. the Sharon, at least in overall like proportions and shapes and the weighting of different parts. And that was kind of the basis for that.
11: Another thing is that, that you take the sun or the, the, the generator mm-hmm. and you have to put it in a way where people can actually see it in game. So right. we elevate it to the top. But then once you put it on the top, now you have to use it. Now that's when you have start, you start talking with the effects people on the mm-hmm. on the consoles side how, how can we showcase this thing how can we exploit it right so,
3: how do you explain that cannon on my <laughs> Celial engine how do you explain that tell me suppose <laughs> yeah. it would destroy the universe well we want to leave it now open to you you know maybe tell us a little bit about what you're working on that we haven't seen yet uh, what you're excited is
9: coming down the, the pike um uh, well in the bundle that was just announced um one of the ships in there uh, i actually don't really get to make ships that much anymore because i've got a lot of managerial duties and i manage the outsourcing intake from tobias so um one of the ships is a is a skin for the uh shenzhou that's inspired by the excelsior um it's a bonus that you get if you buy the, the operations bundle i'm really pleased with how that came out it was fun to blend discovery and then classic movie Styles together, um, so I'm really excited for people to to fly that. And it was fun, like just making up the the lore behind it. Even though I don't know if anybody will ever like experience that lore, but <laughs> I just had a lot of fun uh, doing that and, and bringing that to life.
8: Yeah, to answer your question about which Eagle Moss ship I would want, that's the ship that I would want Eagle Moss to do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like the movie era is my favorite. The TOS movie era is my favorite, so. I'm kind of jealous that Thomas got to, got to do that, but uh, it was fun to watch him work on it too.
3: Well, thank you so very much for joining us and talking to us about the design process and your 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 the, the way the way that ships are made in Star Trek Online and how that collaborates with Star Trek Discovery. Thank you so much for your talent, your artistry, and uh, for giving us an
9: insight. Absolutely, thanks You're for on. having us
7: on. All right, thank, thank you. you.
3: Captains, while we are here visiting Cryptic Studios in the San Jose, California area, we took the opportunity to sit down with GamePrint, a division of Mixed Dimensions. Now, for many of you, you may be aware that GamePrint is the company that has been 3D printing your custom ship from Star Trek Online. Not just a regular standard model that you might find from other companies in a box set, but your actual ship customized to your specifications, and custom 3D printed. Joining us today to talk more about that process is Chief Technology Officer Baha and PR and Marketing Advisor Francis. Gentlemen, thank you so very much for sitting down and chatting with us. Thanks for driving down and meeting with us. It's a, it's a real pleasure. Thank you so much. It's an honor. First, let me start off by saying that I had, over the holiday, ordered a print myself. Right, I paid out of pocket for my own custom 3D printed chip and you know Francis in our conversations I had you know I had I was very open with you I was very I was cautiously optimistic about ordering a 3D printed chip because 3D printing in this grand scope of technology is still pretty new it's still a new service and so even though it has come a long way since you know it hit mainstream in what 2013 2010 that era you know, some 3D prints you saw, and you can tell that it was a 3D-printed ship. There were those layers, that granular, grainy, sandy-looking detail. So I had joined the Facebook group for GamePrint and Star Trek Online and started seeing images of players who had ordered their ships. And I'm starting to ask questions like, Wait a minute, was this one hand-painted or was it 3D-printed? What, what, you know, tell me, who, who, which one is it? Asking these questions because... As time went on and as I scrolled through pictures and new ones kept surfacing, I was really impressed by how far the printing technology has come or the way that you print these custom designs. So I pulled the trigger and I ordered myself a Prometheus variant. It's the ship that I admire most in Star Trek Online. I try to fly it as often as I can and I received it and was stunned at how beautiful the ship was i did it with an andromeda skin theme i forget which hull i did and then i also did it with the uh, aegis shield and like i said i opened it and really was just marveled at how beautiful my ship looked my ship so we were not taking this opportunity because we were in the area you your company is in the bay area here in california So we decided to take this opportunity to sit down and chat with you and just get to know you and the company behind this great service, honestly, I have to say, it's just really impressive. And I really got the biggest bang for my buck in ordering this 3D printed chip. So first, Baha, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of the company? Where did it start from? How did you decide you wanted to start working with game companies? And uh, yeah, let's start there.
12: So Mixed Dimensions actually started in 2013 with with the mission to make the process of taking a digital file into a physical object really seamless. Because if you look at 3D printing, it's very challenging to take any 3D file and then print it due to the way that 3D file is actually structured. So most of the 3D files are actually structured to be displayed and not to be printed. And when you try to take any 3D file and you try to hit it on a printer then you get into all these constraints of physical material, the printing process, stuff like that. So the mission of the company is to make that process streamlined, easy, and we started building the technology around all of that, how we can actually guarantee that if you have a 3D file, that it will print, and it will print nicely. Um, So we started with that mission, we developed the technology behind all of that, and then we realized that there is uh, a huge gap in, in the gaming space, uh, as as you can see. So we're gamers as well, and when you want to get something out of gaming, so the way content is being created in the games mm-hmm. are designed to strip out everything that make, makes it slow. So mm-hmm. the content is optimized to be displayed on the screen and not optimized to be 3D printed. Right. So it makes it the most challenging to print And the the technology that we developed make, make it really seamless and easy to take a 3D file and then print it. So we had that vision of when you are in a game, you're actually contributing by creating your own custom ship. You're creating your own personalized character. Some games allow you to create content as well. And in the reality, when you go out and you want to own that, you can't. Simply you can't. That thing doesn 't exist right, right. Um, and this is what we wanted to achieve with game print is give you the ability to own what you actually created what you what you actually admire within the game, not something that a third party decided that this is what the whole gamers community would would uh, mm-hmm. like right, rather right. than we want to enable the gamers to make that choice right. to, to select what exactly they want, and to be able to own that, right. not um, not a cookie cutter, being, ship, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Not being restricted, now,
3: something. So you you talked about the, um, you know, the, the difference between the game render, you know, how it is optimized for video gaming. When dealing with something like Star Trek Online and how customizable Star Trek Online is with your ship, it, we you know we we use the term ship playing ship Barbie. No, no, um, space, Barbie. Oh, space Barbie. Space Barbie. Space Barbie. Space Barbie. Yeah.
4: It's a big part of the game, It is a big part of the
3: game. (laughs) It is. Um, What is the hurdle that you face with converting a custom ship into the 3D print?
12: Yeah. So when we actually started with with the integration, so we didn't expect that huge amount of variety of ships to to be coming our way. Mm -hmm. So um, before we launched, we actually tested on a number of ships. It went well. Everything was going well. When we started the first, I think, one or two batches, we faced issues with coloring at the beginning uh, due to the textures not reflecting the actual light on the ship. So Mm -hmm. the way that the the 3D object is designed, you have the textures and then the light is reflected. So the reference image you see is actually having the light on it.
7: Right.
12: So that doesn't actually get into the actual physical object because... What we get is only the, the 3D model and the textures. Right. We don't get right. the light effects. Right.
3: And lighting does quite a bit.
12: Yeah. And some chips actually have so much effects from light that it it it's completely a dramatic different oh, difference right. when you yeah. come come and compare it with with the 3D model. So that that was one of the challenges that we faced and. And we're continuously doing research on how to improve things. So this is one of the things that we improved over time. Also, um, some some ships, um, we saw um, thickness issues, so we solved that as well. Um, Do you uh, mean in
4: thickness of the parts? Because some of the pieces can be pretty delicate. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
12: Yeah, yeah. So, um, but we as a company, we're we're very committed to making sure that any customer is really satisfied. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you just order and that's it, you get what you get. No, it's, it's, it's the fact that we really strive to make sure that everyone is satisfied. So even if someone has, is having issues with their ship, we're really committed to make sure that it's, it's going in, in, in the right direction.
3: You know, one of the reasons why I pulled the trigger and then later on also reached out to your company was because of how attentive you seem to be with the community. I had joined, you know, around the time that I purchased my ship in November, I had already joined the Facebook group. And again, as I mentioned earlier, kind of watching people show their ships. And then I saw your interaction with some of the players who either, you know, the nacelle snapped off, you know, because it fell off a stand or damaged in shipping. I remember one player who had gone through uh, horrible life trauma and you were there to support those players you were there to support those clients those customers so your attentiveness to the community is actually uh was really refreshing it it wasn't i didn't feel like you were a company that was just printing ships and okay that's it that's it this is your ship too bad you know again that was really refreshing to see how attentive you are to your clients and, and it's great because i think that that trust goes a long way goes a long, long way, especially for a process that you, like you mentioned earlier, is ongoing. You know, you're always developing and improving the technologies. So kudos to you. That was, that's, that's great. And that's, no, that's fantastic. So when the partnership with Star Trek Online first launched, there were several options. You could do, if I remember correctly, you could do a 3D print with color. You could do without color. You can do it primed. You can do it in solid colors. And then the creme de la creme was the, the custom paint job. There are new options now that don't necessarily cover those. What yeah. has changed and why the need? Like, for instance, why can't I just print my ship in gold or have it custom painted, for instance?
12: Yeah. So the possibilities are endless, but there is facts on the ground. So, for example, when, when we started, we started with hand-painted ships. The thing is, we got a huge amount of orders at the beginning. <laughs> good.
3: Well, that's, that's a good problem.
12: Um, yeah. That's a good problem. But at the same time, we're a company focused on on satisfaction. So it's not just we just want to get the order out of our door. We want to make sure that the quality is right. Mm -hmm. Um, So in order to make sure that every uh, every order that was made, the quality was right, it took time. And some people got a little bit disappointed by the time it took. But for us, it's about quality. So we really we are really committed to quality and customer satisfaction. So hand painting is a little bit challenging in terms of timing because you don't know exactly what's coming your way and you can't just estimate how much it will take in painting. You just need to make it as perfect as possible and sometimes this, this process takes takes a lot of time and our painting team is limited in, in, in count. So that that was one of the challenges. So we decided... To pause on that and rethink through that. Um, We might have news coming out soon but we want to address this issue regarding timing before we relaunch the hand painted or, or decide to relaunch it.
3: What about solid colors you know for instance just a solid gold ship or a solid white ship or a primed ship ready for a player to paint for themselves?
12: And actually, this is uh, this is easy to be done. Uh, it's it's not. Uh, we we can actually do that.
3: Okay, but I, but I don't think it's an option now on the website, right?
12: Yeah, but but we we can add it. Okay, so okay. Uh, we might add it soon.
3: Speaking of features, something that I don't think players may be aware of is that now you've opened the library of uploaded ships. So you don't even have to be a player of Star Trek Online. You can now go and explore this vast library of ships of players who have uploaded. Their custom designs not only select the custom design but then you can actually change the registry number and the name of the ship yep. so that's great because you know one of the hurdles that i understand that you face is that console players can't upload their ships yeah right so if you're on console pc or xbox you cannot do the same process that a pc player can however as a console player or just a regular star trek fan you can now explore the library, have your ship that you like in the library printed with the custom registry name and number, which is which is a, a, an excellent feature that I think you guys
12: added. Yeah, thank you. And and the great thing is also the community is willing to help those players. So right. So they are actually willing to take captures and share it if someone asks them to do that, which right. is really great. Right. And this is the type of thing that really makes a difference yeah. because everyone is supportive in terms of uh, what can be done they can get feedback immediately um, and and we want to make that process really easy for anyone I don't want the console players just to think that they are set aside mm-hmm. actually we aim at having an integration within the consoles oh. it might take some time but, right. but we aim at having that but for the meantime I think this is a great way for them to be able to get their own custom ships
4: so we talked a little bit about Star Trek Online and the custom ships that you can do within Star Trek Online. Could you tell me about some other companies that you work with? What are some other products that you offer in a similar vein?
12: Yeah, so we just um, announced the partnership with uh, Ubisoft.
7: Mm-hmm.
12: So uh, we're planning to have some integrations coming out. So. We actually got the license for most of their games, Assassin's Creed, uh, Assassin's Creed, Watch Dogs, Far Cry, Beyond Good and Evil, uh, Dead Pigeon. So we have the license to do things for that. We might do it on stages, so we might have a customization. On our store or on their store, we might then have the full integration within the games. Mm-hmm. It depends on how things goes, but we aim at having the integration within multiple titles, within their wide spectrum of games. But we have other game integrations and customization apps that we're going to announce soon. Oh, that's really great. Soon. Congratulations. Thank you.
4: Obviously, there's no starships in Assassin's Creed. So what kind of objects are you doing, you know, actual... Items from the game? Or are you doing people's avatars?
12: We we actually can do anything. So we we can do the avatars. Mm-hmm. Definitely, we're going to do the avatars. But also, we can do dioramas. We can do moments from within the game. So one of, one of the things that makes our technology unique is we developed a set of APIs and plugins for game developers to be able to integrate our technology, mm-hmm. and it gives them a whole amount of freedom of what they can achieve. So, for example you can have a specific moment from within the game captured. It's like having a screenshot captured. Mm-hmm. That is also possible with our technology. Wow. So it's, it's not only the ability to get your own custom character or custom shape or custom weapon or mask. It's the ability to get anything from within the game that relates to you. So that's, that's what, what, what we're, we're, we're planning to have with many games in the future.
4: This is what you were talking about where you started off developing the technology to take a 3D file and translated that into a 3D printed thing. So that's like at the core of your technology. And that's what fuels ships, avatars, and also dioramas and scenes like you were talking about.
3: You mentioned the possibilities with a game like Assassin's Creed. What about with Star Trek Online? Is it just limited to ships or can I print out my assault rifle from the game, you know, one of these crazy weapons that we can achieve in a reputation item and
12: it's all up to what Cryptic decides to have within the integration. I hey, think Crypt, we need in, to go back. that conversation <laughs> if later. You go back to Crypt, you can, Yeah. If if they see the community wants that, I think they will, will they will push it. it you depends see
3: on. yeah, I think that the community doesn't know, you know, I think that yeah. the community isn't aware of those possibilities and like I said I was stunned at how beautiful the ship was. I do have a question though. So I had the 12 inch model, and what I noticed was that on the front of the hull, the name of my ship is the Logos, L-O-G-O-S. And I noticed that the O doesn't close all the way, and it's like it's not defined, right? It's not as clear, the text. But I see other ships, for instance, I think somebody in the Facebook game print group had a 9-inch battlecruiser. And their text was super crisp, super clear.
12: Did you customize it on the site, or you didn't?
3: No, no, I uploaded it it from... This
12: is exactly one of the things that has to do with the file that we get. Mm -hmm. So the resolution on the text coming out of the game is not really high enough for 3D printing. So one trick, and it's an easy trick, but the thing is it will change the font... Um is that you can actually customize the same name when you do the order the ordering. Then we will re-render that name. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so th- this is a trick. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, so I, so it's like the secret menu of right. and out.
3: So <laughs> yeah. I. so in other words I upload my ship into the game print library and then in the space where it says rename the registry, yeah. put it in there. Yeah, yeah, and then your system would have re-rendered the text exactly.
12: Yeah, so it would oh, re-render it man. in a very high uh, definition.
3: You see, I was under the impression that the difference was because, like, for instance, I had done a an Aegis set, right? Like, yeah, I thought that it was, you know, maybe this person just did a as plain as plain possible battle yeah. cruiser, and so I was under the impression that that's why that text came out clearer for them. But all right, so that's good to know. That's good to that's know good for try- future for future orders. Should our listeners decide to place that order, is to go in and manually change that name
12: yeah yeah. so we didn't do it automatically on all ships because we don't want to change um the text without consent from the user right. because it might change the font right mm-hmm. so um and i think nobody knows this trick so it's the yeah, first no, time nobody knows this trick. <laughs> yeah it's the first time i mentioned it i would have done it um, yeah but um yeah but but it's it's pretty much uh uh, possible to do so that so w-
3: in the process now a player from Star Trek Online uploads the ship then it's in the library and then you do show the snapshot but it is the snapshot that you see the preview on the website that's not necessarily what you see before printing right yeah because it looks like there's lighting involved in those yeah in those. exactly
12: so these are the renders that we get from the game right so it's it's for our reference so it's basically how the ship should look like, or at least the, right. the reference of how the ship should look like. But the 3D file is, is a little bit different. Now, can so you. So that, that's one of the gaps that we're always working on.
3: Can you allow players to see what you see before you print? Like, for instance, would I have seen in your render that the text was a little blurry and wasn't as defined? Would you have seen that in the render that you finalize right before
12: you print? So if you look at it on the screen, you would say that's fine. Right. But it doesn't match with... So this is one of the, the hurdles of 3D printing. Right. So it doesn't match with the capabilities of the printer. So when you actually print it, that wouldn't look as good as when, what, what you see on the screen.
3: But what about what you see on the screen before it goes in, into the machine? Same thing? Yes, yeah, oh, same thing. thing. Yeah, same yeah, yeah. thing. Okay,
12: same thing. Okay. So we're currently working on a new algorithm that will even, even remove that hurdle. So it will actually clean up the text that we get right. uh, as is before printing, which will improve a little bit. It won't be as crisp as the custom text, right. but it still it will look good. Uh, eventually we want to find a way where we can uh, identify the font and gen- then just regenerate the text in a way that's that that works with with the printers what's your timetable do you have any idea what we're pretty much quick so uh, if you noticed a lot of development happened between the time we launched and now yeah so we're pretty much quick i think within maybe a month or two maximum we will have those features and other stuff coming out
3: what stopped you guys from printing 12-inch models
12: yeah so 12 inch is a little bit challenging because it's a big size. So it takes time in the printer and we need to optimize the utilization of the printer. So one of the things that actually makes some sort of delays is the fact that when you try to print a 12 inch, then you're reserving space and time. So it takes more time to print a 12 inch versus the smaller sizes. Mm -hmm. So we're we're rethinking about that. Um, How we can actually... Uh, have 12 inch back in a way that it doesn't affect our timeline, stuff like that so 9 inch doesn't really affect the timeline but when you go 12 inch, yeah, it does it does big time
4: So it sounds like you guys have a lot of plans for the future, things that you are looking to sort of move into. And a lot of the things that we've talked about today are not necessarily technological constraints, but it's part of you growing as a business. Yeah. So what do you see as being next for GamePrint? Or what do you see as the company looking like five years into the future?
12: So definitely we want to be the one who allows you to own what you play. So we want to be that medium. Where if you if you're playing a game, you actually have the capability to own what you what you created, what you customized. Yeah. Um, a
4: physical space Barbie, right? Yeah,
7: right. a physical
12: space Barbie. <laughs> yeah, so we want to be uh, we want to be in that space, uh, and we want to ensure that the process is seamless, and we want to reach a point where our pricing point is really even lower than the current collectibles market. Um, so those are some goals, and we have pretty much. A huge ambition in terms of technological achievements. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at adding things like joints for characters, stuff like um, joints, like
3: move, like I can move yeah. my arm. Wow! Exactly,
12: yeah. but but the way we're thinking of it, you don't need to see that joint. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's, it's it will be like uh, you have a skin on top of that and hmm. stuff. So we have a pretty much. Aggressive roadmap on things we want to achieve, and we're doing our best to make sure that we're taking the right steps, and we're taking the steps in a way that also makes the community happy. Yeah. So, number one for us is a happy community. Right, right. That's 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 our slogan. Happy. Good,
3: good, <laughs> good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, Baha, thank you so very much for driving down, meeting with us here and chatting with us. I really look forward to the ongoing developments and features that players can look forward to who want to print their space Barbie in Star Trek Online. And hopefully we can all talk to Cryptic and, and say, Hey, I want my hand lance, my hand cannon from... Uh,
4: my chroniton rifle. Yeah, yeah, chroniton rifle, all those
3: things. That's, yep. that's that'd, that'd be really cool. I mean, that'll take cosplay up to the next level.
4: No, I want my actual Barbie. Like your avatar? My avatar, that's what I want. So that's, we'll, about- uh, that's actually a good question, is if there are features and things that the community would like to see from you, whether it's a different size ship or a different painting option or whatever, what's a good way for them to communicate that to you?
12: So there's the group on, on Facebook, it's, it's a really great way to, to engage uh, with us. And you can definitely send us an email, send us through the website. but. I would say the gr- the group is a good point because most of our team is on the group. Mm-hmm. The email is, is is mostly going to few guys, but but the group, everyone in the team will see. Mm-hmm. So it makes it really easy for us to brainstorm stuff and figure out things.
3: Great. Well, again, thank you so very much for stopping by and chatting with us. We really appreciate it. We look forward to talking with you again sometime soon. And uh, hopefully players will now be a little more excited to go print their ships.
12: Thank you. Thank you so much.
3: Captains, our next interview here at Cryptic Studios is with the content department and writers for Star Trek Online. Now, before we go and get into asking questions, let's go
0: round robin and uh, please introduce yourself so that we can have a name to the voice. Uh, My name is John Hegner. I'm a content designer here on Star Trek Online. Uh, I'm the FNG, so I've only been here for about five months, but uh, I already know a bunch of people because I worked on City of Heroes way back in the day. It took me a moment
1: to figure out what FNG yeah.
4: is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we don't need to explain that for our listeners.
1: Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm Paul Reed. I am the writer for Star Trek Online. I also do content design.
13: I'm Ryan Levitt. I'm a senior content designer
2: on Star Trek Online.
13: Great. Actually, Paul and and John, you
3: both are relatively new to the company, right? Um, how long have you been with uh, Cryptic, Paul? Four years. Four years, and and you mentioned earlier, uh, John, that you were for five months, right? Yeah, yeah. I so, started right before September. So,
13: so uh, Ryan, how long have you been? I've actually I'm on my fourth year as well. Fourth
3: year as well. Okay, so we are now at a, a nine year old MMO. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you all have uh, previous experience writing for games and, and designing for games? Yep.
1: Yep. Oh, so, yeah.
3: So, in the last four years, uh, and what what has been your sort of outside knowledge and and what have you brought in from your previous experiences into Star Trek Online to usher it into over these over these last five years since you've been you know a part of it? to help it withstand the test of, of time for gaming, being that, you know, nine years for an MMO is a long time, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's an accolade in and of itself. So what are you always thinking about? What are you bringing to the table to, to make sure that the storytelling for Star Trek Online is always compelling and enjoyable
0: after nine years? Uh, well, I've worked on a number of MMOs. Uh, I started in the industry back in 2001. So I've seen how the standards of player expectation, meeting, uh, mission design has sort of meshed and evolved over the years. And there's always, at a company, um, a variety of approaches, like more text, less text, uh, more story, like show, don't tell, et etc. et cetera. Um, So taking that with Star Trek, which is a very visually exciting franchise, but also has amazing dialogue, uh, is a different recipe Um, that I haven't exactly gotten to work with before. So that's exciting for
1: me. Uh, So this is my third MMO that I worked on. I was previously on uh, DC Universe Online and then went to work on uh, Marvel Superhero Squad Online and then now on on Star Trek Online. So working with different uh, licensed characters and properties and universes, uh, one of the things that I like to be mindful of when I work on Star Trek Online is being uh, respectful to the lore, uh, being respectful to what has came before, and with Discovery happening now, what's currently happening. Using that experience to try to write and uh, design true to the lore and the characters.
3: To that, to that point, you know, being true to the lore and the characters, um, you know, you've written, obviously, f- what sounds like a com- from a comic book world, to now an IP that is more film and television. What has that transition like been to you and for you? And also the the sort of the weight of the IP, right? I mean, yes, DC Universe and, and Marvel have been around for quite some time, and they too have their that the gravitas. Um, what is that difference? You know, how has that transition been from running from comic into now something that is more rooted in film intelligence.
1: I would say that uh, with Star Trek, with comics, you can have a little more uh, creative license. I mean, there's certain things that you can and can't do with uh, a licensed character. You know, you can't have, say, Batman running around with an M60 uh, going Punisher style on the Joker. That that won't fly in most cases. But you still have a large area of, of creative license to play with. Uh, with Star Trek, there's still certainly we have we certainly have creative license, uh, but we also have to be just that much more aware and respectful of canon and what has you know you know what type of ship so and so is stationed on what type where such and such is in the Alpha Quadrant. Um, even you know we even have to work with things like the Klingon language. It exists, so. We can't just go around, running around, uh, you know, going crazy with that. We try to be very respectful and mindful to uh, what has been done uh, by creators prior to us.
3: So when I think of writing for Star Trek online, the comparison that that can easily be made is to writing for Star Trek Discovery, right? We see those writers on their Facebook Live things doing their interviews or last, you know, season one in, in... after Trek, I guess what I really want to ask is, tell me about your your Star Trek. It's not and not this is not to question your knowledge, but more <laughs> tell me about your knowledge in Star Trek. <laughs> Right? What's the is, most obscure Star Trek fact you know? Right, episode yeah, one hundred
2: and thirty-four. Oh wow! <laughs> you know, like
3: it's, so, yeah. It's you know one one would one would imagine, or, and some players might imagine that you know uh, the, the weight of the Star Trek storytelling falls on your shoulders. You know, are you constantly researching? Is it always? Is it an ongoing, oh, never-ending process?
13: Definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've all seen pretty much every episode of Star Trek, uh, and like you know the movies. But that doesn't mean that it's all going to be stuck in our head at every moment of the time. But all you need is kind of that little bit of a, I remember there was an episode where this happened, and then you go look it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, <laughs> Mem- Memory Alpha is a really good starting place for us because it will give us like episode names, and, and then we just go watch them. What's great about Star Trek is that its lore is just vast.
7: Mm-hmm.
13: So we have a lot of places to pull things from, um, which are great jumping-off
0: points. Another interesting aspect of that is that Discovery is on now. It, we haven't had a Star Trek show on the air since the game has debuted. But nowadays, technology allows us to immediately pull up an episode and find the exact point in a line, whereas nine years ago, or when I started in the industry, you didn't have the immediate access to, to grab those you know, media streams right. and, and you know, scrutinize. You had to, you know, record it or buy the D V D and come a long way from VHS. Yeah. Which <laughs> in the process it was a slow sort of build up, but in hindsight looking back at how much technology like enables us to like laser pinpoint that stuff it, it's fascinating to me. Especially when you
13: realize that most of those technological leaps are probably
0: thanks to Star Trek. Yeah, right.
13: Right.
4: yes, right. Very much. Has that raised the expectation for you know, if you're writing for an IP like Star Trek that's immensely complicated, do you think that that access to information has raised the expectations for writers uh, in that IP?
0: It's raised the bar both on expectation and on the ability for somebody to be correct, like to get the accurate information. Because um, the players have this access to a lot of the same information we do. Um, and more, yeah, and there's and there's <laughs> vastly more players than us. So yeah. even if we had perfect knowledge of Star Trek, there are probably a hundred or a thousand times as many players that might have the exact same amount of knowledge. So they just have more processing power than us, and right. people are going to make mistakes sometimes. But we endeavor, obviously, using this new technology of, you know, databases and memory alpha and being able to like immediately pull up the episode from last night and scrutinize frame by frame things for for art uh, use. Um, it, it puts us all on a, on, a, on a higher keel, but I don't know if it necessarily um, makes things better or worse in terms of
1: expectation.
3: We talk about that lore, you know, and being able to research um, 60 years of content. Is that also kind of... You get pigeonholed into, oh, well, no, we can't do that because an on episode...
13: One, they Well, that goes against canon. I mean, we always endeavor to... Respect Canon. Um, you know we are we are a licensed you know s- studio with CBS. Like they put a lot of trust in us, so it is very important to us not to abuse that trust. Um, now, of course, sometimes Canon conflicts. Um, I think Klingon hit- heritage of bumps and hair are, are a very easy uh, example of that. At which point we just have to say, okay, which series are we trying to be accurate to you know if this is a tos era thing we're doing no bump uh klingons if this is a uh you know jj verse or or you know kelvin timeline or uh or now discovery you know it's crazy like super prosthetic uh klingon like we have to do whatever is appropriate to the specific era of the story we're trying to tell.
1: Well, one thing, though, that has been really, you know, opened up a lot of doors for us in terms of storytelling, though, is we are also many years after Nemesis, and we have a galaxy of places to go that have, ne- have never been seen in Star Trek. Uh, the Lucari, I think, are a really good example of... of us working with within the Star Trek lore and within the you know we okay we're like okay where do the Lucari live, what's their culture like? But that's that's all us. We we worked as a team to come up with the Lucari with their you know their history with Kamarke with you know their ships everything. So we still have to be mindful of let's you know let's keep this within what would feel good for Star Trek but having that creative license to to come up with, you know, a new alien species and a new type of technology and, and their culture was was really creative for us. It was really, really a good time, and we like to go in that direction when we can, as well as, you know, kind of moving along with what, what we feel like, you know, the Star Trek timeline would be like in, you know, 2410. Yeah, and there's,
0: there's a common uh, phrase used in, in content design, which is, don't be married to your stories. So very early on in our in our content design processes, we're sort of milling around with ideas of like, wouldn't it be cool if we took this and that and it'll come up? Like, nope, canonically, that doesn't make sense because of X, Y, Z. So that'll either get wholesale thrown away or we'll put it on the back burner and be like, well, maybe that'll work in a different combination later. And those combinations are actually, like in my mind, sort of what makes Star Trek, at least from the original series all the way up to here, um, compelling to me as a writer is you have all these ingredients on the table, and it's like, let's mash these two ingredients together and see what story comes out of it. Um, very similar in like the superhero games, because you've got like, magic and science and mutants and aliens and all that stuff all mashed together. What weird stories come out of that? Star Trek is chock full of a bunch of the same stuff. The magic is just technology we don't understand.
4: <laughs> so here's a quick question for you. Do you guys have any, like, uh, tried-and-true tricks that if you get to a certain point and you're, like, all of a sudden you realize that something you've done is a glaring violation of canon, uh, what what do you do? What Do you have a trick that you can kind of skirt around it? Or do you just, like you said, it just gets shelved and you move on? you move on to the next thing?
1: It doesn't really... I don't think we ever really get that far because we start really early... Uh, and well in advance of when we're going to release the content, and there are collectively on the team people with some really, really deep Star Trek knowledge. Um,
13: Al being one of them. Al is yeah. definitely
1: one of them, but I mean throughout the team and all the disciplines, there are people who really know their stuff, and we're not—we don't work in in a vacuum. We don't work in a bubble, so. By the time it gets to the point where we're just starting to, like, you know, put the content together and start working on an episode, it's been around the the department or around the team. And if somebody goes, but, you know, hold on, that that didn't happen there. That so-and-so wasn't even on the ship at that point in time. Um, Someone will bring it up, usually pretty vocally, and we can course correct before we get ourselves into that position.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we, if we found ourselves in the situation where we were too far into the content to change it uh, because of a, a canon breaking thing, uh, and I've been in that situation in various other games, um, the method that I've used, it doesn't always work, but it's the one I usually fall back to, is I, I hook like two or three other pieces of lore that are not yet defined to stuff that could theoretically explain it later down the line when we actually have time to do another bout of content and fill that out. Um, So, yeah, the person wasn't on the ship, but there was also a strange anomaly detected. Later on, you describe, okay, the strange anomaly created a duplicate. Yeah. So it can give you a way out if, if you catch that in time to fit in, like, a little piece of content hook that can be utilized later. But oftentimes, down the road, you
1: don't have time to follow up, so... We haven't had to use the wizard did it excuse yet. Yeah. Right.
4: I was gonna say, isn't that pretty much the entirety of Section Thirty-One? Like the entire existence of Section Thirty-One. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> nice. Good point. So, John,
3: you've been with Cryptic Studios the the least right now mm-hmm. in five months. What do you what have you seen right now or in the process? I've seen so many things.
13: Yes, <laughs> he,
7: has, he has looked He's
3: into the everything. abyss,
13: and the abyss has looked back and at it's him. it's looked yes. back. Um, what have you... What, what
3: sort of things um, are you hoping to bring to the table with respect to storytelling now in a nine-year-old game? Like, what have you seen now that you're like, hmm, I think I'd like to do that? I
0: game. mean, Star Trek is one of those IPs that it's like if you get to work with it in any way, shape, or form, you should count yourself blessed. So working on the game is the next best thing to the television series, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh and I mean, that was one of the, the huge draws for me, is it's like, I get to write amazing characters with great dialogue, I get, you know, ground missions where there's the, the blood, sweat, and tears sort of stuff going on, I've got the, the commanding voices of, of fleet commanders and starship battles, which, you know, I love my military, you know, shouts and everything and using proper uh, designations for, uh, for waypoints and things like that, uh, all that stuff tickles my fancy quite well. So there's a whole gamut of things that I have in the past worked on, but now I get to smash all of them together into one lovely little package that is Star Trek.
3: So Star Trek Discovery is now on uh, television. How does that influence your writing now? Right? We know we're now in the age of discovery for Star Trek Online. Yeah uh, it looks like we're in it for the long haul. What is it How does that influence your writing and, and how? collaborative are you with the writer's room, if at all, for Star Trek Discovery?
1: Quite a bit. Um, Without going into a super amount of detail, we do uh, communicate with uh, both the Discovery writer's team and the folks at uh, CBS. When we first started thinking, hey, let's let's, let's start thinking about uh, Discovery and think about some things that we could do, we put together a a presentation, visual and text of things that we were interested in doing, uh, br- you know, briefly, you know, what the game was about, what you could do in the game. And then we had some ideas and we said, kind of like, it was like the equivalent of a pitch meeting. It's like, what do you guys think? And a bunch of us went down and met with them and they evaluated the things that we proposed. And I'm I'm condensing here, but there were things that were like, mm, no, uh-uh. <laughs> or things that they were like, you know, like, why don't we hold off on that? But then there were things that were like, hey, hold on here, this, we like this. So we took back the, hey, hold on here, we like this uh, feedback, and that start, that kind of became the genesis of our original um, discovery content.
13: Now, to, to be fair, it's like when they were saying no, it's not necessarily because it was a bad idea, but it might be something that they themselves wanted to or were planning to uh, go deeper into. So right. in order to prevent there being conflict of canon, they just said, please don't work on this right now. Conians! <coughs> Conians! Um,
1: you all right there? One, <laughs> and, uh, one on the thing sprinkles. that's been really... <laughs> I think it's been really cool, too, is that our... Uh, The interaction that we've had with Discovery writers isn't purely limited to the show. Uh, I think a good example of that is the Jaula character Mm -hmm. uh, because she originally debuted in Discovery Comics and so we've been in communication with the creative team that worked on that storyline and said, hey, here's some stuff we're thinking about doing with her. And so there's been some you know, collaboration and back and forth on that as well. So uh, the amount of openness in terms of you know, being able to reach out to someone who worked on a novel or someone who worked on a comic or people who are working directly on the show as part of their day-to-day has been really great for us because it's not always like that. Sometimes it's kind of everybody kind of works in their own box and does their own thing, but with, with Discovery, I, we found that Uh, There's a lot more openness and uh, interest in making Discovery awesome on multiple fronts, as opposed to having it just rest solely on the shoulders of the show.
13: Yeah, I mean, going back to that Ja'ula example, it was actually the Star Trek team that suggested to us that we use Ja'ula. because, Because, you know, they, they knew that this was an interesting character who's, you know, connected to Kuvma, but it doesn't have a lot of stuff. Uh, like a lot, there's, there's not a lot fleshed out about her. So they were giving us the chances for fleshing her out, right. um, And that was an incredible honor.
1: Ah, indeed. Yeah. And we've got so many good ideas. Yeah. So it's not the last that we heard of Jola. <laughs> no, oh, definitely no. not. You She's know, not done.
13: You know, my, the
3: the question that popped into my head, right? You know, we, we've you mentioned Jola. Now we've had this. We have Captain Killy now in, in the Star Trek Online timeline. I have felt as if though, and, and it could just be because of the release schedule for these missions and how often they come out. But the Age of Discovery missions at, right now seem a little one-off, right? It's a little kind of they're, they're siloed little mission. They're si- not little, but they're siloed missions. Are we going to end up seeing a longer arc, like connected plot? Like, will Ja'ula somehow influence Captain Kelly? Without going into uh, significant detail, but. Is there a a long game the way we saw the Iconians, the way we saw you know these these other stories in Star Trek Online?
13: No, there definitely is a roadmap ahead. Um, it might not be a six year roadmap like the Iconians was, but um, it will definitely like like the, the we are not putting in characters just to like put the characters in. We have we have plots for them that we want to
1: uh, explore, right? And we try. Um, as we can, as schedule allows, with the fiction blocks to supplement and provide kind of breadcrumbs or, uh, you know, kind of a, a waypoint to say, hey, here are some here's some direction that we could go. We've, we, and we try to update those not only to reflect what, you know, current episode is coming out, but also to give a little bit of an idea of where things could go down the line that we've had some do the fiction blocks. Uh, that uh, you know, for example, that could do that, so we try to uh, keep the interest going and, while we're working,
0: yeah, we've also kept things a little bit liquid in the final you know goals of certain character arts and stuff because discovery is still coming out with episodes yes. and so that there may be an episode that comes out that completely gives us a on fire idea of where to take one of these characters, and so. What used to be the original final idea for Jula or Captain Killy, for for instance, uh, could completely change on a dime on, on a Thursday night, um, and that's just that's just part of the job. Is like making sure that you, like everything isn't concrete until it absolutely has to be because ideas flow like water.
3: So your connection with CBS is not you know it's not it, like you just said it, everything can change on a Thursday night on that following Thursday night.
1: We have, we, we like I said, we do communicate with them periodically, but it's not like a daily or a weekly, or, you know, it, they're not inviting us to their daily screenings and be like, oh, no, look yeah. what happened. We don't, we're not that, you know, updated, but we do, we on our side and they on their side will periodically kind of liaise and go, okay, you know, and update them. We we send them an update, here's some things we'd like to do, and so that, Kind of pitching back and forth happens periodically.
13: I mean, people above our pay grade probably know a lot more about what's happening (laughs) in discovery than we do, and that's more just as a need to know basis of you know, don't do this because this is where this is going, um, stuff. But then that that just informs kind of like the pre pitches for us, so that way we're not we don't even have to know what's coming. We just we because. It's all been just kind of figured yeah, out. Yeah, the,
0: the relationship with a TV show and a video game, because this isn't the first one I've, I've worked on where there's a It's not your first rodeo? It's not my first rodeo. <laughs> I think that's my tagline at this point. Uh, is almost always going, and it, by necessity, has to be that the television show has the right of way. And that is because the production costs and time involved in what they do is generally much larger right. than what we do. We can pivot much faster than they can Uh so if we say, oh, we want to do this thing, they go, can't, we already like, had costume department like make costumes, whereas right. we're doing digital stuff, that can change very quickly.
13: Well, I mean, at the end of the day, they are the IP holders, so they are the hard canon. Yeah. You know, the best we can hope for is being soft canon, um, and, but if at any point they contradict us, then that just puts us further into Apocrypha.
4: So, at the moment, Star Trek Online is following kind of the themes of Star Trek Discovery. And right. we have some crossover with characters and storylines, etc. Over the next couple of years, we're going to see a lot more Star Trek content coming out. So there's the card show in the works, there's the animated series, or four, or however many are coming <laughs> down the pike. How is that going to change what Star Trek Online does going forward? Because if you stick with Discovery, then you're neglecting some of the new stuff. And there's also the consideration that um, Star Trek Online has been putting out a lot of really good story content before we had Discovery. And are we going to get a point where we can go back to some more original content? Um, I mean, I think
13: things will have to, like, we'll have to play a lot of things by ear. Um, right now, we, we have a Discovery storyline that we are trying to tell. Um, that storyline does have a specific end in sight, and at that point, we'll be able to say, well, let's see, how, like, you know, how is the Picard show doing? Let's, let's do some stuff with that. And hell, there's, like, that show's supposed to be around our time period anyway, so it might be really easy for us to, to hook into it. Um, and as, as more and more uh, canon stuff comes out, we evaluate can we use it, and if so, how do we want to go about it? Um, we're like this is actually a really exciting time for us because we like there's just suddenly this huge, huge plethora of of new stuff for us to work with. Like we've just gotten a whole new toolkit, um, and that's really exciting.
3: So when creating content for Star Trek Online, right, we've been talking a lot about the writing process, the conceptualization, um, but you also are the ones that create the mission, right? Mm -hmm. You go in and you put all the pieces together from the the ships to the environment, et cetera, et cetera. Let's talk a little bit about the last two missions for for Age of Discovery and um, Mirror Age of Discovery. Uh, The, you know, Pavel and being aboard the ISS Discovery. Talk to us a little bit about that process. How exciting was it to be on the Discovery, on Pavel, you know, playing as Captain Killy. Share share what hurdles did you face? What was different about this episode that might be different that might have been different from the last 9 years of uh, content that you've
0: produced? So I want to jump in first because literally right before I got hired on I started watching Discovery. I was like, okay, I'm interviewing for the job. I better watch Discovery because that's what they're going to be working on next. Mm-hmm. And the episode where they where they have Tilly pretending to be Killy in order to save everybody I fell in love with that. I was like, okay, it's go time. And then <laughs> the first piece of content they give me is to write for Captain Killy. And I was oh, like, nice. yes, perfect. So that's all I have to say about that. Um, I'm it, on it, Club it,
13: nine. it was definitely hilarious when we realized that we were now going to have Mary Wiseman pretend to actually be Captain Killy as
0: opposed to pretending to be Tilly pretending to be Killy. Yes. So, John, you wrote that. That was. Uh, Paul did uh, all of the heavy lifting, but I, I put in the uh, the gist of, of stuff. and
1: yeah, Right, and then uh, for me, uh, I did a little bit of the original legwork on uh, one of the missions, but for me, my connection to those two episodes was really um, the writing and then working with the—because I also work, uh, when we do the voice recording, I sit in— and with the engineers to, that they're recording it. So if the the voice talent has a question, it's like, am I mad in this scene? Am I, who am I yelling at? Why? What, is the ship exploding? What's my motivation? Exactly. How is this word pronounced? I'm, I'm there. Yeah, how is this word pronounced? Exactly. I don't speak Klingon. What is that word? Um, How's your Klingon? Terrible. All right. Uh, but we have a lot of really cool resources that we can fall back on. Um, we've, you know, so... My Klingon, personally, is terrible, but um, we have good resources. But what was cool about that was, you know, I, I get to be, you know, we, our on-site audio squad uh, connects digitally to wherever the voice talent is. Um, that could be, it's usually somewhere in the LA area, but it can be all over the world. When, um, when we recorded, I mean... When when Sid came in to record for Bashir, he was in he was in England, (laughs) so we were on totally different you know times you know time schedules. But uh, so you know uh, Mary's recording, she was you know back east. So uh, but they're there. We hear them in the studio, and you know getting the opportunity to work with her both as Tilly and then you know as actual Mirror Tilly was was a lot of fun. And uh, she's she did a great job. She really uh, really got into it and uh, was uh, you know really really kind of knocked it out of the park. Yeah, yeah she did. Yeah. And, and the the brainstorming meetings
0: leading up to how those missions were developed, what the storyline was, um, it was it was one of those moments because we're dealing with mirrorverse, which hasn't been super well defined in Discovery yet. There's, we've got some glimpses. Uh, but I think the entire story arc came, uh, started with, I wonder what Mirror Pavo's like. And that was mm-hmm. the spark that it was. we started following that trail. And, you know, oh, that Burns here, Burns here. Okay, yeah, hey, we got a story here. Right. Um, and you can kind of follow that thread through everything that happens in those episodes leading up to the grand reveal of what Tilly's plan actually is in episode two, so. That was a lot of fun to work on.
3: Now, y'all don't just do the story content missions. Y'all also do
0: TFOs.
1: What's yeah. a TFO? <laughs> oh, Yes, we do.
0: Task Force Operations. There you missions. go. And Love we... those TLDs.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and we have an exclusive announcement on this episode of Priority One to celebrate and help celebrate our 400th episode. And that is that we actually have the grand opportunity of playing a brand new tfo that is coming to the game and you've heard it here first
13: admirals Admiral. why don't you tell us a little bit about that the tfo it's called a uh, pavo Dissension and it takes place uh, shortly after the events of episode two so uh there will be some spoilers if you haven't gotten around to it kenna
4: I don't know what you're talking about. Ooh, I just heard a
3: bus coming. Ooh, yeah, that's a, you know what? That's a little bit. That's only
13: slight payback for Vegas.
4: Yeah, I gotta come more years. I'm
13: sorry. Go ahead. Um, so, you know, for those of you who were paying close attention, uh, you know, there are a bunch. There's a bunch of uh, Terran wreckage coming through portals uh, above uh, Pavo and bet- uh, between. That episode and the TFO, some of it is going to crash land on the planet, uh, but there are still survivors on the ship. I mean, Terrans are, are pretty rugged people; they can they can they can survive quite a lot. Like Captain Killy, uh, again, spoilers. You might want to cover your ears if you don't want to get spoiled. They are trying to use their agonizer tech to corrupt Pavo and make it more like their mirror version, uh, which they've weaponized. Um, It is effectively almost like a Death Star to them. Um, So as opposed to just Captain Killy, these guys are working in a much wider scale. Uh, So you and your four other captains are going to be on the planet uh, purifying sections of Pavo in order to prevent them from being able to take over. Um, The gameplay will be familiar uh, to those of you who play the Pavo episode, there'll be a lot of similarities, uh, but we are increasing the scale to to give it its own kind of fresh uh, facelift.
3: Now, we actually have the opportunity of playing through the uh, TFO. Yeah, um, we did. Yeah, uh, we had to carry Kenna the entire way.
4: Yeah, yeah, you did. But
3: you know what? It's <laughs> fine. Um view the, the way without going into too much, you know, the way the mission works is that you go through certain areas of the map to purify the crystals, mm-hmm. um, and and there's that final boss battle at the end. What um, what should players be aware of and attentive to when trying to complete this TFO? What's the difference between playing it in a normal versus advanced? And again, this is in fact a ground combat uh, TFO.
13: Right. So. Um the big thing to be to always be aware of is while you are trying to uh, purify one of the many crystals on the planet, um, enemies will be constantly co- uh, respawning in and trying to destroy kind of the the smaller crystals that you are planting. Uh, if they destroy one of them, uh, you are going to start losing progress on purifying the bigger crystals. So you need to kind of stay on top of things and be ready to replant your smaller crystals and kind of decide how much you want to really split up. Um, there will always be three paths to take, um, but there are seven kind of destination crystals, and every time three will be randomly chosen. So there is definitely some room to, to, to split up the party and try and figure out the most efficient routes that you can take. You might want to keep an eye out for some of the uh, captains that will show up. Uh, because there, there is a, a, some interesting Easter egginess about them.
4: Yeah, that's towards the end. Yeah. yeah. You had
3: a sort of test case with us, right? Having players um, who are not already cryptic devs or QA testers. Was there anything that you walked away from the mission that you were like,
13: mm, maybe I should uh,
3: try something different?
13: Well, I I definitely wish uh, our our guests read the briefing.
3: <laughs> no, first actually, of all, I did read the briefing. I said, but I read it with an accent.
4: There was no, there was there was other things going on. There was lots of excitement in the room. I failed to read the briefing, and I basically had no idea where to go, Way to go. or what to do. So I died a lot, uh, but it was still a tremendous amount of fun. And as you know, I don't usually. Play with other people. I tend to play on my own, um, and actually, I, I quite enjoyed this one.
3: Now, the, the TFO itself. So we were splitting apart. So the yeah. map, you can in fact split apart. Totally, you're uh, expected in fact to split apart. You aren't in fact okay. So that's something to consider, captains. You should get a team of people who you don't have to carry. Cannot
4: that's rude. But there's uh, so there's there's three different paths you can go on, and you have to choose. There's five of you, so you can't. You can't necess- you can't just do two, two, and two. It's you need to be smart about how you divide that up. I think that that might have been part of the problem. Right. Um, but yeah.
3: So make sure you respect out for for your ground combat captains. Uh, it was in fact a very fun and beautiful map. Uh, yeah, thank you. you know the, the objectives, uh, despite what we're saying, were in fact in fact clear. As a matter of fact, the Pavins are trying to guide you through the planet. Correct. To to help them. Uh, so you know, it's it's um, it certainly helps the player get through and identify what needs to be done. Uh, but just be aware that they are caught that the the mirror, the mirror universe is constantly beaming down, trying to thwart your attempts to uh, to protect the poppins. Um Is there is there any other advice you have for captains playing this TFO? Load up on your security team.
13: <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that is actually a really good point. Is that you know, if if you decide you want to try and hit all three paths at the same time, you could probably do two and then do the last one to get uh, at the end. But if you were, wanted to actually go for all three at the same time, you probably want like an engineer or someone who has a lot of, uh, or like someone who's like security teams doing the solo because that way they'll have the extra manpower that uh, they wouldn't have otherwise.
3: So and now, when you get to the end of one of the paths, you can beam back to the center Correct. of the map to then go off to the second path. So uh, it's not like you have to run back at the end of the map.
13: Yeah, it's a pretty large map, uh, mm-hmm. so we wanted to make sure that it was very easy to get back at least to a, a good central hub. As you learn the map, you'll feel a lot more comfortable with it, and we tried to block off areas that are superfluous to the specific destination crystals that were randomly chosen to try and minimize the amount of getting lost uh, that will happen.
3: This TFO, uh,
13: Ryan, was this all you? Was this pretty much your... I mean, so as far as the actual design is concerned, I mean, it was was definitely my baby. But, I mean, there is no single thing in Star Trek Online that is, you know, just one person. I mean, it it truly takes a village. Um, Like, the environment team has been amazing uh, working on making enough difference between... The Pavo map you see in the episode, and the Pavo map you see in the TFO. You know, Paul puts in incredible hours to try and get uh, all the different uh, text just feeling more Trek uh, and more in sync with everything else that we've written. And you know, our, our character team, our UI team, uh, our effects team—like, it's there's so much work that goes into it. Uh, so I'm really excited to, to like for people to play it. Now this is a this is not a uh, TFO that's going to stick around. It's a... so it's a featured TFO, uh, which means it'll be around for I think three weeks. You know, if you play for four, like play 14 times, you'll be able to get the special super featured bonus. Can we announce what that super's featured bonus is? Yeah. Uh, we so you'll be able to get a ground kit that lets you put down Pavin crystals. That are turrets that do psychic damage, and if you put multiple crystals together, each of them link up, and each one does more damage.
7: Oh, cool!
14: Nice, nice. nice.
7: I bet
13: that's good against the Borg. It's probably good against a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's psychic damage, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and then after that, it'll go away, and then uh, with the following season, it'll come back as a regular
2: TFO. All right, cool, excellent.
4: Uh, what is your personal favorite episodes or something that happened in, in Star Trek Online? Either something that you did personally or something that just um, exists in Star Trek Online that you didn't work on?
13: I mean, I think for me it's Course Lucky 7 just because so like, so much of it was new territory. Mm. Uh, playing as different characters in the Star Trek like canon, uh, playing as... like just playing as multiple characters in general um, the, the type of story you know the humor mm-hmm. the the crazy heist but everything about that episode was just different and I think that will always stand out as a spot uh, with a special place in my heart and of course you know the let cut scene is but the icing on the cake yeah. <laughs> on the cupcake on the cupcake
1: mm. I really uh, had a lot of fun and uh, there was a lot of great opportunity. Working on uh, that whole uh, Deep Space Nine content, uh, all of the all of the Dominion art for me was was really rewarding, um, and the opportunity to you know work with so many cast members of Deep Space Nine. I mean, we we work with a lot of people from Trek, and that's you know that's a blessing in itself. But that content in particular, we had so many of the folks come back to reprise their roles. It was really great. Yeah and uh you know getting to you know bring them back and you know kind of get them up to speed on where their characters have been at least in our timeline well was a lot of fun too so that that's gonna stick with me for quite a while
13: i mean especially since you got to be in every recording session
1: yeah that's true that was that was definitely man, uh, a good time that's a tough time it was oh Ooh. man it was so yeah. rough but I, um i feel
0: bad for you sorry not sorry <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: No, they're, they're just, they're a really talented bunch of folks and they really did a great job uh, with... Which uh, session we,
13: was the most fun? I'm not going to say which was the best actor because that's, that's that's a dangerous question, but what was the most fun session?
1: Uh, well, we worked actors at a time. So people that were in multiple episodes, we recorded a lot of their content all at once. So I, I, that's not an easy question to answer. Um I'm just going to be lame and just say the whole lot, because it was a lot of fun. It was great working with all those guys. I really hope we get to work with them again. I'm going to reserve judgment on my favorite
0: episode until I actually finish all the content. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. What
4: have you been doing for the last four and a half months? uh,
0: Working. Working. (laughs) Working,
4: learning the tools, getting up to speed. Isn't it part of onboarding that you have to get all the way through the entire story arc? Of Star Trek Online. I
13: mean, it's part of onboarding, but it's not necessarily expected to be done in the first uh, five months. Right. It is an 9 year old game, after all.
0: Yeah, well, and I played it back when it first came out. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, so so it. it's, a, it's a lot of like, this is vaguely familiar. Hold on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
4: Did we ask when we can expect to see the new TFO in game? We did
3: not ask when we can expect to see the new TFO in game. Okay. Towards the end of February.
4: Towards the end of February. Febtober. Okay.
3: Excellent. Sounds great. Well, thank you. We look forward to the new TFO and for those new uh, palvin crystal turrets. Thank you again for stopping by and thanks for letting us play the new TFO and we, lo- we look forward to talking with you again sometime soon. Thank right. you for yes.
0: stopping by. Now yeah. get out of my office. <laughs> right. Yes, sir. You're rents in the mail. <laughs> Captains, we
3: are now on our last interview of a full day here at Cryptic Studios for which we are so grateful for. Thank you all for having us on this Friday. Thank you
2: for being here. Sorry, I know you didn't introduce the yet, but thank you for being here. It's been awesome having you guys here.
3: It's great to celebrate our 400th with you. That's nine years for Star Trek Online, seven plus years for Priority One, and uh, I can't think of a better way of celebrating our 400th than, uh, than here at Cryptic Studios. So, let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, Let's put a name to the voice.
2: Uh, Bill Yates, uh, art director. And this is Al Rivera, the designer of Star Trek Online. Uh, My name is Mike Fadum. I'm the community manager, and sometimes people know me as Ambassador Kel. All right, well thank you so very much for for spending
3: some time with us here. Uh, let's jump right in. You know what? I think I'm going up. I'm going to jump into some community questions,
2: right? Because it, Did I delay you on some? Yeah, the last interview, yeah, you want to jump right into You <laughs> might have
3: delayed me. So, okay. uh let's talk about some of the gates, right? Let's get it. let's start with some of the controversial <laughs> controversial things. Okay. Um, why don't we start with the Windows Server Kay. issue?
2: Awesome. Uh, so, uh, the issue with Windows Server Uh, If it's not resolved by the time this podcast goes live, it will be, like, very soon after. Uh, Basically, what happened is um, Windows Server is not and should not be supported by our cryptic launcher. It's, um, uh, as I understand it from the guys uh, in our core systems that I've talked to... um, it's uh, Windows Server has um, wildly different versions of itself and wildly different requirements for what those versions have. And there are some versions of Windows Server that just don't have Direct Dex installed or do have Direct Dex installed but don't have certain files installed by default which causes the game to crash. Um, and so we're turning it back on. We're going to make it so that you can access the game of Windows Server again. Uh, you are going to get a warning um, that it's not a supported OS um, and the what I'm being told is uh, while we are allowing people to reaccess it they're going to be very carefully monitoring the number of users that actually access the game with Windows Server uh, and it's it's very likely that we'll be turning that access back off again because it's just it's it's not... A stable way to play the game. Um, and it's not something that we would be normally supporting. Like when we, we finally removed Windows XP support um, last year. Um, you know, it's just, it's, um, and so I know exactly who asked that question, uh, because she comments on every single Reddit thread uh, that's about anything related to the game, but about how she can't play Windows Server anymore, and I'm very sorry. That's right. That's
3: the uh, goddess Shari. Yep. Goddess Shari. Yep.
2: Yep. 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 Uh, So that's where we stand. Um, That launcher that fixed it should have gone out this week. Um, That was the last email I received, but then I never got a confirmation, so I need to check with them again before I leave today and find out when exactly that launcher update is going out. But you will be able to play again soon, but maybe not forever. Um, Consider finding a laptop with like Windows, you know. Seven or ten on it—that's you can get for cheap or something like that. Because um, we're—we think, we—we we think the number of users playing with Windows Server is very, very small. Um, if we're wrong, because we're going to be monitoring that when we turn it back on, if it's you know thousands upon thousands of people that are using it, then we'll probably leave it on.
4: Okay. So the next question that we have to tackle is Hairgate.
14: When I first came on board, uh, one of the things that I wanted to try to do was uh, push to get. Uh, any way we could try to level up some of the art. So some of the art has been the same art since we launched, and um, some it's newer, some it's older. But um, a good way to attempt to do things is at the shader level. So you adjust the hair shader, in, in this case, and it just will go across every hair.
6: What's, so, what's a shader, Bill?
14: What's a shader? Uh, a shader is a graphic mechanism that enables something to be drawn on screen. That's, I'm trying to simplify that, that's probably oversimplifying it, but the it's a, um, a a thing we use to make things look the way they do. So how shiny it is, what color it is, uh, and it involves uh, things called textures, or which are basically two-dimensional pictures. Um, it's kind of hard to explain just yeah. talking about it, but yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully people have some grasp from that brief explanation. But, so we, we we made a change that we're like, oh, this looks great on this hairstyle, this hairstyle, this hairstyle. And we went through a handful of hairstyles. I'll be honest, we did not check every single hairstyle, and sure enough, yeah, you know, there, there was a few hairstyles that didn't work out. Right. So um, we tried to do a quick fix where we switched some things off and on, and then it fixed it on some things, and then some things got worse. And then uh, since then, we're like, we've sort of basically rolled that all back. Um, that's sort of just a price of progress um, so that we're not gonna give up on it. We have really good ideas on you know what we wanna do. Um, we just have to be a bit more elegant in our solution. Um, so uh, we also, I'll just add on to that, we actually did some stuff with the skin as well and you probably, there, you know, you can say there's a skin gate as well. <laughs> um, that one was, uh, we were just so fixated on flesh-colored people and we're like, oh, this looks great, this looks great. And then you're like, wait,
2: Andorians are blue. Yeah, why does my
14: Andorian look weird now? Or why does my Orion look weird? Because it didn't really work. Uh, But we do have a plan. Uh, We we basically have uh, rolled that back as well. But we have a plan to sort of uh, do something that can accommodate the different skin tones, especially alien gems. That's really that you can just pick any color. And so we have a plan to sort of get some of that richness you got. Uh, Like So if you were playing a... uh, a uh, human or Klingon, various skin tones look really good, With the, and hopefully what we can get is uh,
13: that enabled on any option, whatever you want to choose. So.
4: So are those things still kind of on your roadmap as a as a goal to tackle, or have they yes. been sort of shunted to the back of the queue now because you've got other things going on?
14: No, well, so it's my it's almost like my personal vendetta that is going to happen. <laughs> so uh, uh, this was there is no uh, there's a little bit of uh, uh, you know Andre, the executive producer, he was like, yeah, what can we do to kind of level this up or level that up, um, or can we you know, can we make the hair not look as plasticky or the skin not look as plasticky? And that sort of spawned the genesis of, like, all right, what can we do? So I'm still working with, uh, uh, we have a technical artist here uh, who's been working closely with us. And then uh, Ian, the character lead, we've been uh, you know, working closely and trying to get that elegant solution. Um, and who knows, it might even lead to some more functionality for uh, customizing how your, uh, your character looks. So uh, I can't promise any wins. I mean, this was a, a hopeful, easy fix. It's just going to take a little bit longer. So, hopefully, everyone bears with us, and then we can see the fruits of our labors later. So, uh, you know,
3: there seems to be over the last several uh, over the last year or so, you know, a shift in in leadership, right? There's a new executive producer, new producers. Um, whereas Zeronius Rex Maria, the foundry was something that was near and dear to her heart. Where is the foundry now, in, in, in Star Trek Online development, and and what can players
9: expect?
2: So, I think. The first thing I want to say about that is that um, Foundry is absolutely 100% near and dear to Maria's heart. Um, I don't know that if I can, I can claim that it's just as near and dear to mine, but it's pretty close. You know, If she's at 120%, I'm at 110. Um, I love the Foundry. I love the Foundry to death, and I love to death our creators who work on it. I think that the people who make Foundry missions, the Foundry author community, are by far some of my favorite people in our community. They're always consistently uh, excited and enthusiastic and wanting to just tell really, really good stories in our universe. And I love that about them. Uh, Now, the problem with the Foundry, and it's a problem that um, Maria ran into, and it's a problem that I've been running into, is that it's just unfortunately not the highest priority game-wise. So we worked really, really hard to get the Foundry back online when it went down um, late last year, but then you know, when it went back up, there were these big bugs with it, and we had the decision to make of do we turn it off again until maybe a programmer has some time to fix it, or do we leave it up in a semi-broken state um, to let people at least be able to make and edit their missions? Um, And I pushed for leave it up because the people... You know, it takes people months to work on these things and I think they, even if it's broken tools, they deserve to work with some kind of tools. Um, now, what that means for the future of the Foundry, I, I honestly don't have a clear answer um, right now. Um, I think as you know, time goes on um, and as we find resources, there's a lot of people who are passionate about getting those problems fixed. but. A, the problem is, you know, like you talked to Keith and uh, oh, you talked to Keith and Travis earlier. Um, those guys are working on putting out a hundred different fires and a thousand different things all the time. Um, and because of the way the foundry was constructed, it often takes a programmer uh, weeks of work to fix an issue. Um, working on just that, and we often, as a company, can't afford to move the programmer off of whatever they're doing to fix the foundry, and so. While it's a huge passion of mine, and Al and Bill can both speak for how often uh, I jump up in meetings and start asking about the Foundry, and how often Al does that, too. I mean, I've, I've seen him uh, pushing for Foundry stuff all the time. Uh, it's just one of those things where it's not going to be a high priority over other things that are affecting a wider amount of the player base. And it, I don't love that. That's not a, a thing that makes me happy, but it is an unfortunate reality of the business.
3: You know... I- you've used the word priority a few times um, well I know what show I'm on
7: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> but you know from what I what I'm hearing is that that unfortunately there just isn't the player base to justify the return on investment but even to that end because I know that the counter argument over the last several years has been well if you build it they will come mm-hmm. even when you have built it
2: yeah, there still hasn't been that that flood of yeah. uh, foundry authors we have, I mean, we have the stats on the people who use the Foundry, and it's not uh, an insignificant amount. It's not, you know, one hundred percent of the player base. It's not even, you know, seventy or sixty percent of the player base. Um, but it's not a tiny number either. Um, but uh, as I think you were about to say, um, when we put time and resources into the Foundry, we have the data, unfortunately, to show that it doesn't drive the user acquisition and all of those lovely numbers that we we look to to measure the health of the game. Um, Which again, I wish it did. There's amazing stories being told in the Foundry. Um, One of my favorite parts of my job is doing the Foundry spotlights and finding finding the best episodes and getting to share them with the whole community.
4: David Kate Rutley asks, will you be bringing the Cardassian Union into play as a playable faction and third allegiance? This could allow the Cardassians, Breen, Dominion, Jem'Hadar, and a possible new race, the karema a third alternative to the current starfleet or kdf allegiances
7: well
6: they're already playable jemadar i might have even talked about with you in the past about future possible playable factions Cardassian is a totally valid faction that we might do um we've, uh, we've even talked about borg being a possible playable faction however that might play out um that would be a weird one factions aren't easy because uh, factions require tutorials and starting experiences, and usually UI and and, and ships and costumes and weapons and your tricorder doesn't work and your, um, your emergency powered engines, engineering team logo has to change. All there's so much to make a new faction. So we don't take it lightly when we make them. We obviously just did a. Uh, a DS Mine starting experience and we did and we tried that one as something new because we you had to play that at level you had to start at level sixty with no tutorial. And it was just so that was a savings for us and it was an experiment. And we just did a score discovery starting starting experience. I think that um, I I hope to see other starting experiences in the future. There's nothing planned in the near term to do our Kardashians aren't you can Cardassians are a playable species now. But as a separate faction, probably not for a while with all the excitement going on at CBS right now, with Discovery, with a Picard show announced, with animated shows coming out, probably other things, maybe movies, um, we're going to be leveraging what CBS is doing right now, as opposed to doing uh, something else. And I had tons of stories planned until Discovery became a thing. Tons of things we were we had we had two years of stories planned, and all of a sudden, like it was the. Uh, play, play, uh, cue me up a, a record sound effect. <laughs> right? yeah. So all of a sudden, uh, there is that. It's like, oh, this opportunity is here. We're going to leverage that. So right now, we're going where CBS goes. Um,
7: so
2: Sorry, I just wanted a quick follow-up on that because um, he was talking specifically about, um, I think, uh, new allegiances as well as new factions. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about you know, kind of the way our game is, and why it's hard to do a third an- allegiance. Another
6: allegiance, yeah, like, a, a, like a third. Yeah, we're not going to do another allegiance. Um, we have two allegiances, and and we basically uh, meld them together later. Because a new allegiance is a new game. That's an entire. Every time you add an allegiance, you bifurcate your audience, and so there's a reason why things like Discovery Arc, the, the Agents of Yesterday, TOS Arc, and the Romulans all join a faction. Because we need to keep the community together, we can't keep splitting the, the player base up, and we can't support an entire allegiance of its own storyline, and we can't support another type of ship. So when we want to do, hey, when are you going to do the next jemadara Ramian ship? Says, so, well, when we used to do two ship bundles, and then we do three ship bundles, now it's four ship bundles, and we do five ship bundles. It's not sustainable. So we can't keep adding allegiances. It's just not sustainable. Different starting experiences where you join up with the rest of the allegiances is totally much much more doable. Right. Um, but but still very expensive to do a different starting experience.
3: So, I do. Want, you, you had mentioned a few things there, and I have a few follow up questions. One of them, because I think it'll be the shorter of them, is from Helmet Willem on Reddit. Will we be seeing any new Romulan specific content? A mission remastering? A ship? Uh, even a uniform? Anything of that nature to, for Romulan love?
6: Um, I believe there is a Romulan ship on the schedule. Um, sometime in 2019. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know exactly when that is. Well, I do, but I can't say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I believe there's a Jemadar one too, isn't there? There is a Dar yeah. new Jemadar ship on the schedule as well. Um, not that far off. What was the other uh, new, new Romulan stories? Um, no, for the same reason. If we're going to do it, discovery. it will be any content we'll be making will, make, will be made for the greater community. Yeah, it's These, just, so that's
2: not it's not a Discovery answer. Like you said, it's more of a like the reason that all the factions. Uh, flow into one in later and end game content, and the reason that all, all of our missions these days are playable by everybody, as opposed to specific Klingon missions or specific Romulan missions, is because, like I was talking about, bifurcating the player base. We want to make sure that everything we make, everybody can play, and you can play as the kind of character you want.
6: Well, and, think about what and, comes out in a season, right? If the season comes out, you get one or two episodes, yeah. right? And and that takes us that takes us uh, uh, two takes or three months, months. Yeah. right? And that takes yeah. and, and it takes. You know, dozens of people, so um, we're not going to release that for a new uh, piece of content to release a, uh, an entire season for only a small percentage of the player base. It's going to be available for everybody.
3: So the war's over, right? Klingons and
2: Federations are together.
6: Yes. And
3: yet, I can't team up with a Klingon friend to jump into a TFO. Oh,
2: can, I, can I tell you a funny story? Because I <laughs> actually complained about this to Jared on like, my second week of the job. Um, and I'm going to tell them what I discovered and you guys can tell them this is information we can't share but I've said it on the stream before um, our game was designed in the era where everybody was trying to be World of Warcraft and the way World of Warcraft is built is uh, there's the Horde and there's the Alliance and the, the game is built around they are having a war uh, and you know that's something that WoW keeps coming back to. Um, our game because it's Star Trek has eventually now reached the point where we're more about everybody working together uh, but that division is still hard coded into the game. It's why I can't, with my Klingon main character, go visit uh, Spock's memorial on Vulcan uh, because every NPC would start trying to kill me. Um, it's uh, one of those things that, like, technically is a thing you could fix, but it would involve ripping out like so much of the game's code um, to the point where it's it's a, it's a nigh undoable task. Well,
6: I, th- there's. There's things like going to Earth, Space Docker or right. that that's just not worth doing. Yeah. But the idea of playing Klingons and Federation being able to play in a TFO, not as hard. Yeah. Um, well, they and it's not can. not They can't now if it's a random queue, right? Right. That? Yeah. So... so, so it's not a design decision. It's just a tech it's a tech decision and we and we just it's again it's just picking the tech resources. It's it's a it's been a, a you know, a BMI bonnet for uh, for a while and it's just a matter of getting yeah. To, yeah. Matter of, love, we'd love to make it happen sometimes. It works for
2: TFOs, we'd like to make it work for teams for
6: I, I mean I mean we're talking
14: about technical stuff, it goes back into that sort of priority stack. Yeah. That, you know, it's sort of there's and the top of the stack gets done, and then you maybe you get a couple down, but then
3: <laughs> yeah. the How bottom one can
6: mean, make, you, keep you know. If I, you. But you, I, I, I don't want to. So, so, what do you want? Do you want that, or do you want, say, secondary slots for uh, for EV suits, right? So, like an armor slot for an EV and an EV armor slot. I've been wanting or, deltas for five years, Al. Don't ask me that question. Deltas? Yeah. Hey, remember oh. that. Oh, and del- yeah, deltas on. <laughs> so all of those things there, there's, there's. These are like these quality of life things, wow. that, and there's a list of. And as a matter of fact, we had a meeting today that we skipped for you guys. Uh, <laughs> that we meet, where we meet, where the designers meet every week on on Fridays at at, at three or four o'clock um, to to discuss all of these quality of life issues. And and we've got this giant list of like where we want these kind of features to go and these quality and these, and these or naggy bugs or stuff like that. And it's just and. Remember, we just released things like the random TFOS, and and we've got another feature coming up, and and having featured TFOS. These are all engineering tasks, and we have limited engineering features, and so we've got to balance what we're doing new for the season, as well as with all these quality of life things, and and it just gets on a it's on a big list, and then we every every week we go and look at it, and this is, this one's got to go, this one okay, and then this gets bumped around, and you get around to it when you can.
4: I have to take the the discussion in a slight left turn a little bit because um, this is the ninth anniversary of Star Trek Online. It's a pretty mature game at this point. Um, And I think it's clear that there's a lot of things where you're trying to balance off improving old things versus new content. Mm -hmm. At what point do you start talking about Star Trek Online 2.0? Or do you start talking about... um, Refactoring the reputation system entirely, or refactoring like like major pieces of the game at what point do you start talking about that as opposed to uh, just working? Um, the same way that we have been. Well,
6: Star Trek Online 2.0 is a much bigger discussion than, say, revamping the re- the reputation system. Revamping the reputation system is actually something on somewhere loosely in the schedule. We're trying to maybe do it this year. It, that's that's a that's a big one for us. And we made some quality of life improvements recently to it, so that we can one button equipping all the every, all the gear instead of 100 buttons to 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 fill out a reputation. I, I think I mentioned to you this earlier. I mean, basically. It goes, it's the same with, the, uh, with up revamping the art and getting the art up to, to higher quality. We've got a game that's nine years old and we have to have a cadence of cer- certain things that we need to make every couple months where, and, uh, where we have a new feature, we have something that's for retention, something for new players, something to sell, something for you know, monetization. And then we balance that, and then we put, and then, okay, there's 10 or 20% of our time for making other things better, such as these cut scenes that you just saw, like Weston spending some time making the cut scenes better. It's like I've mentioned before, it's like painting the Golden Gate Bridge. The the metaphor here in California, the Golden Gate Bridge is, is giant, and they're constantly painting it, and... When they paint, once they finish painting it from one end to the other, the, they, they go back and they start painting the other side again because that's already old paint and it's starting to corrode. Well, that's what we're doing, but our bridge keeps getting longer like it just keeps getting longer and longer it takes longer and longer to repaint and repaint wider. our bridge and it's wider and taller <laughs> and goes so, into other
2: dimensions weirdly so so,
6: so, there, so there is a, so basically we try to earmark a percentage of time to make things better for instance this, this, this month we were going to revamp some episodes Ryan had a baby and so we lost that time.
3: How dare you?
6: Right. Yeah. So, so we can all blame Ryan for why we didn't uh, uh, get some episodes remastered. But so that's the thing. We have this. We have. We always allocate some time to make things better. And then, if there's an emergency, or if, and that's what goes. And that's just the reality of development. And that is the challenge of an MMO that's nine years old. It just gets so big, yeah. and you just have to balance, you know, new features, you know, and and the business versus quality of life. So uh, just to add to that, I think there, there's actually
14: because you said start uh, stove 2.0, and I, I think the uh, in the art department specifically, but you guys might do this too, is we uh, you always are like, oh, that's a 2.0 feature, like, and that doesn't. I'm not saying we're making 2.0. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm saying. What it, it's sort of a. I, I was asked, like, what, if I could do anything to the game artistically. You know, what kind of? I'm like, oh, I would love to put, change the all everything to physical based rendering. Sorry, it's technical. I know, but uh, PBR, which was past Blue River, but the, uh, um, and I was like, oh, I'd love to do that. But it's like that to do that. Literally, that's flipping the table on everything you see in the game. That's like, let's just redo everything. Okay, let's be realistic. Nine, let, let's call it ten years of stuff because we had to make a launch stuff too. Ten years of stuff, let's just start over. That's just not realistic. So uh but uh that said, uh you know, when I came on board, I've just been like, Oh can we can we I mean remember in the interview I'm like I wanna redo that one thing. You're like, You can't redo that thing. That's what it looked like in, in TOS. You know, like I'm like, no, but I wanna make it better. And, like, that's not going away anytime soon. I no. mean, unless they get rid of me, but I'll go kicking and screaming. So. But it's well,
6: Don't change it into I, canon. I, I just <laughs> want to no, touch base can, on. Can stuff canon stuff stays canon. But <laughs> see, I can make it, make it canon and better. <laughs> Can't make it better if it's canon. Good. op. Um, so, so as far as a Star Trek two point, Star Trek Online 2.0, I look forward to the day where I get to make work on a Star Trek Online 2.0. Uh, so much we've learned and so much new technology. Uh, but Star Trek Online is doing way too well to be even thinking about doing a you know a, a Star Trek Online 2.0. There, a, there, yeah. there is no reason to be to to shut down Star Trek Online and work on a different one or or, or work have two and cannibalize each other. Yeah, we um, Bill we came from EverQuest and and uh, well, not specifically, but yes, the uh yeah, that, that game going. is 20 years old. So
14: it's 20 years <laughs> and it's going strong it. And, and I think the. Uh, I think Star Trek Online has easily those type of legs. Yep. So I think the, uh, t- to Al's point, I think there there's no reason to uh, sunset and move on to something else right. when when this thing is breathing and kicking. So I, I mean, also think, strongly um,
2: when people say the I don't know if this is what you meant, but when people say the hypothetical Sto two, um, like people you know on our forums and Reddit and stuff, um, in their minds, what they're imagining is. Uh, the game that we currently have, all nine years of it, but with some vague updated graphics and some vague like updated systems that makes it feel more next gen, but with all the same stories and all the same characters yeah. and things like that.
4: Yeah. No. What it's- I was talking about was you know like uh, uh, you know take take one um, underlying major problem like it's not necessarily a problem, but what we were just talking about with the the Klingons versus the Federation, mm-hmm. like um, you know do you consider you know ripping out that the guts of that whole system and refactoring it so that you you, you keep with the same thing but you you've you refactored a major point of the game to kind of enhance it for what you might have decided it's, is a new modern expectation. It's, for it. sure. it's it's
6: all it's all just a matter of triage. Mm-hmm. I mean that's why we have that weekly yeah. meeting and saying what 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 are the things we want to do? What are the what are the interesting quality of life features we want to do? What's how much of it and what's the impact on On, uh, on art and engineering, like we want to overhaul the UI, not not just from a visual standpoint, from a technology standpoint. That's going to be a major overhaul, but that's something we really, really want to do.
3: Why is that? Why the why is the UI like?
6: Uh, Because because well, you could probably answer that. Well,
14: yeah. So there's there's a a, a few things. There's there's UX considerations, such as like ease of use, uh, and and then enabling ease of use. So functionality, what our UI system can do. And then there's performance, like, you know, not to say our stuff is poorly performing, but, but it, it performs but, not as well as we'd like, so...
3: Ed Lawrence, actually, on Facebook, had a question about the, that performance itself.
14: Yeah, so, uh, I mean, it, it it comes back to that
6: some of the stuff is, you know, it's old. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it's we a 10-year-old it. MMO, and we, keep, yeah. and we keep adding to it, keep making it better. You know, also, here at Cryptic, you know, all our games run in the same engine, right? And so... Uh, it, what, it's, it's an advantage and disadvantage. But one of the advantages is every time we work on something else in another game, all the games can eventually, you know, theoretically share it. We've got a new brand new game that you all know about, that's, you know, the Magic the Gathering license. They are developing all kinds of new technology. And we would love to integrate some of those things. Some things with AI, some things with... Uh, with, uh, well, probably some some graphic stuff. They have yeah. some things with, with projectiles and wow, well. We really can't wait to get our hands on some of that stuff, and a lot of that's overhaul. So we just take it, and, and these are big projects. These are little projects, and then we triage them, and we say, this is what we need to do. And it says, okay, maybe we can do this in, in, in May. Maybe we can do this in June. And it's just, it's just truly a matter of triaging. Wow, that's going to take six months to do, and what's the return on investment on that? Yeah. Is that necessary? Yeah. Probably, maybe not but this thing we can do in 6 weeks and to be a huge return on investment so that goes to the top and the point that
2: I was going to make earlier um, is just that like if you look at where sto is now from launch like how much the game's changed it's not as noticeable because we've been all been playing it for yeah, 9 pretty, years but we're, frogs. we're basically at like i would say we're at 2.0 now might at we might be at 3.0 might be at 3.0 at yeah. this uh, so like that's what i was saying, you know in terms of like updating things and changing things and making the game better it's almost like you're playing a sequel you just get to play with the same character you started with
7: well
14: we're also uh, we're,
2: and we are continuing. we take to do that.
14: serious that this is a game as a service so yeah. we were, we are constantly doing stuff i mean it we we like uh, you know i was saying we may we may say wow well, that's going to take too long and then we we shelve it we don't kick it to the curb and never talk about it again, we may, we may come back to it because someone may have a new idea like, well, what if we only did this and we did it this way? And we're like, well, that, that would work too. And then next thing you know, we're, we're you know, looking into it. So
7: yeah. I, a lot just, of
6: our, yeah, and a lot of our stuff is actually metrics driven too about what we decide. And we've actually been spending a lot of time recently looking at where people are, are you know when do people leave the game? what do people stop playing and says, okay, we're losing people here on this thing. That's what we fix. Because if we're losing 10% of our players at that, nothing else matters but losing 10% of our players is that we address. And sometimes that's just maybe a mission step. They're getting lost in a tutorial step. Um, so we're updating the tutorial constantly. We're updating the mission flows. We're updating UI pieces. We and a lot that of that's for, uh, really subtle sometimes. You don't even yeah. notice For it. a specific so,
2: example, we noticed for Victory is Life that... Um, uh, the um, I think it was fifty to sixty uh, XP curve was dropping off a big portion of the players. That's so why we, re- we worked that to make that curve less of a solid wall and more of an actual curve um, to smooth that all out. And we saw that data support that people were now playing the game longer and hanging out
7: longer after fifty.
3: You mentioned metrics, and I I only come back to this because I feel as if though this would this would in fact improve that end game quality you have just launched the new the revamp to the to the queue system which has got me back into the game super excited right i've been yeah you know, just jumping on for through. like
2: five minutes a day to play right, a on random. Right. so
3: much fun exactly but i feel like more often than not i go into the armada chat and i say hey anybody want to join oh i gotta switch i gotta switch from my kdf to, to the fed why isn't why isn't that like one of those high end like on the top of the list kind of let's get the players together for end game and and close that gap
6: because there's a lot of metrics because it's because there are dozens if not hundreds of things that players uh some players want or desire or need um and when it's affecting you that's the thing why aren't they fixing it mm-hmm. but i guarantee you that there are dozens of other things that are that are affecting thousands of other oh, yeah, players right, 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 that right, also right, uh, is a pain point and that's and so it is just a matter of triage about what's more important yeah. to address and, um, i don't want to put words
14: in al's mouth but like we would love for you to just play with anybody yeah. in dfos right? right i mean
6: yeah. like that's, it's not it's we, not a design decision it is just, yeah, again, it's just it's yeah, a matter we, of it's like
14: so the, the if we could literally Sorry, did no. if we literally have someone just, hey, yeah, it's like two hours of coding and then however much testing, it, it would already be done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, and that's, I that's,
2: that's that's why I was explaining why you know how much work it is to, to really fix that issue because it's something that we all don't like and we all want to fix. But again, if we want to fix something else that's on fire, um, that takes less time and is hurting more people, uh, we're going to fix that first. Oh, yeah, and there's unfortunately always stuff like that that we got to jump on first.
6: Yeah, we have a ridiculous amount of data and metrics analysis yeah. that you can look at just as far as i mean even things well, like you can't. Yeah, sorry. You can't. even <laughs> things like what well, 's in the store like what percentage of people clicked on something and then and then bought something so hey, a lot of people are looking at this and not buying it. why is that a Why is that happening? So we want to address that because that's, that's, there's a few there that person clicked on it didn 't buy it. we lost thirty dollars there, and then you add that up and that 's thousands or, or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um so uh or why did uh, someone stop playing at this part in the tutorial? Oh look, the the sector space tutorial isn't working right now. And that broke. So we went and fixed that. So um it's it's um Or the door situation. Remember the door? Yeah exactly. Oh we yeah. remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we remember. <laughs>
2: but when, when when Alan I stand at our desk going, Elio is tweeting at us like four times in the last twenty four <laughs> <laughs> hours. Oh my he god. Never does that. Yeah. What?
6: <laughs> um I think I think Andre called the data he called it like a delightfully daunting is what he called it because there's so much elegance in the data that we have but it's like uh but it's 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 overwhelming on what you decide to pick on to work on plus we have a live game that we need to have new content we have new missions new tfos new items new ships all of that still has to happen and you know you've got you've got a limited resources and you pick it you pick it and so you know you pick what you're going to work on and i think that over nine years I would love, as an April Fool's gag, which would not happen, to just load up STO from four years ago.
7: And <laughs> yeah. people forget. Well, we did that um, for right. April Fool's yeah. a couple
6: yeah. years ago. For, yeah. We put on, um, on uh, Tribble, yeah. the, the was, STO Yeah, let's like do it again. Yeah. And, and, and just even just pick something from two years ago and yeah. see the quality of life changes yeah. that actually happen. Because it's very... Sometimes you just don't notice them. Yeah. Um, but there's a tremendous amount of effort that
9: happens there.
3: Yeah. So I want to ask about the roadmap. Um, you know, we have... Several people, including which sad has already space. changed. Yeah, <laughs>
9: it's it, it, since since, eight, since uh,
3: ten o'clock this morning. Yeah, like Sad Space Wizard asks about you know the, the speaking broadly about the roadmap for the next year. and asked earlier the content team. Um, you know, right now it seems that Star Trek Online is very focused on. Age of uh, Age of Discovery, yeah, Age of Discovery. Age of Discovery, right? right? And and the and the relationship that Star Trek Online can have with the current iteration of Star Trek that we have on CBS. Um, what I have been noticing um, was that you know the the episodes seem almost one off, right? Like they're 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 a story about discovery, whereas prior episodes when Star Trek Online was the way to get Star Trek there was there seemed to have been an arc a story arc right things connected in some way shape or form will Jaula have some sort of involvement with uh, Captain Killy will all these stories that you tell in Star Trek Online that are
2: discovery related tie in, similarly like, to the Iconian arc, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, because uh, like... I wanted, cause I wanted to, to, to respond to this earlier when you asked it earlier, and I was sitting in my corner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody puts Mike in a corner. Yeah, except me. I do it to myself. I do it all the time. Anyway. Uh, Everyone
14: gets a point. Yeah, the I reference. think
2: the, the problem with that is the benefit of hindsight. Uh, like, if you'd played Sunrise just by itself, you wouldn't know that over the next four years, or however long it was, we were going to have... Uh, story arc with Kamarke that continued that entire time. Um, with Discovery stuff, we've only put out to two sets of episodes so far. Um, and Al will speak more on this, I'm sure. We, we've, set, we've got a lot of ideas and plans for what things that were set up in those episodes that will carry into the future of storylines. Um, but I think it feels a little one-off because we did our first bit setting up how Discovery is going to play into our universe, and then we had an opportunity to have Mary Wiseman come in as Captain Kelly, and we weren't going to turn that down. Right. And so her episodes uh, sort of jumped in as a, like, uh, intermission almost. Between, can... and...
14: Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's sort of the sort of episodic content issue. So, like, if you watch the TOS, um, I can't remember the con, the name of the con uh, episode, TOS. Oh. DC? Yeah. But you would have no idea that, in my opinion, the best movie of the, you know, The Wrath of Khan was going to be made. You didn't know. One. No, no, but I'm just saying it was so far ahead. Like, Correct. But then when you connect the dots, you're like, oh, that's brilliant. But you, you can't, like to what Mike's saying, you can't say it's this brilliant arc until you sort of can look back on it. And I think yeah. the, the beauty of the content people we have, Al included, is, man, can they sew a web. And right. the, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes just like the actual, you know, the the TV shows, there's dead ends, and sometimes, or maybe they're not dead ends, maybe they're going to re- resurface, so I, I think that's the beauty of the, like, I, I've talked with, Al is way more lore savvy than I am, but Al can be like, oh, wait, we could do this, we could do this, there oh, there's also this, and then I've always wanted to do this and this, and, you know, that's stuff that we can't talk about necessarily here, because it's like, what, what we may or may not do, but um, I think that's the beauty of, like, it's like you get to tune in, you know we do a, a drop, and it's like, "Oh, what, where are they going to take this story, or is there a new story arc or is there, or is that is that going to tie into some other story arc? I mean, I think that's the beauty of episodic content is you're you're sort of getting spoon fed, and it's like you're like the old space operas like you're like, well, what happens next time?" And, and I think that's a little bit um, I mean, I think we actually introduced sort of a, I'll say a cliffhanger, but I guess it's sort of you know it's like, oh, wait what happened there so I mean, I don't want to do any spoilers if people haven't played the, <laughs> the episode that
6: yeah, you you just, do I'm, do fi- do. I'm fine with spoilers I mean people been fl- play it long enough to play well, at this Killy. point well, you yeah, also, with, well, we're also like when well, you
14: see Killy yeah. at the end You know, it's just like Wait, what, what just happened? And then, you know, you could speculate all you want. So We're very clearly think,
2: setting up the uh, Captain Killy, Admiral storyline that if I say out loud in front of Al enough, it'll, it'll happen. <laughs> 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 I want it so bad.
6: To address the question directly, the player the, who asked the question is not, is not entirely wrong in that we are building stories very differently than we had before. Because in, 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 before we had, okay, here's 50 years of Star Trek, go ahead and kind of weave your story make your story pull pull from a little bit from TOS a little bit from Voyager and and introduce this bad guy and have this great great arc um, we don't have we don't know everything that's going to happen in discovery yet i don't think that the that the writers of discovery know everything that's going to happen in discovery over the next couple of years and so we have planted the seeds for, for effectively two arcs in in, in Star Trek online which I will not speak to what they are that will converge in an end game for that we have planned. So we already know what that is, what that end game is going to be, where that's going to go. I'll some
2: of it to me, and it's really good, you guys. Um,
6: <laughs> I don't know when it's going to unfold, but basically, I have this 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 arc that's going to conclude, and and then we will conclude it when the time is right. In the meantime, what we will, what we're doing is taking advantage of any opportunity. So if you're current. In discovery, you know, you saw some really crazy stuff over the last couple weeks on discovery, and so, so what we're doing is, and I've said it before, we're, we're laying, you know, we're laying down the tracks while the train is coming. And when some, when a new, when something happens, a character or a story element comes in, it's like, how can we leverage that? Maybe we can leverage that into our story. So we've got the starting point here, and we know this endpoint, and what's weaving in between? It's been more opportunistic, and so that might lead to a little bit of one-off stories for instance in season 17 you're going to get two really amazing stories that i'm super proud of that are a little episodic that they're they're they'll, they're probably going to go into into you know into the beginning arc of of discovery so it'll be part of the starting experience so we can flesh out that starting experience we want to get a one to ten start discovery starting experience so we're filling those in uh, as well so we're filling those in as well as we're building the the, the end arc those story that story is coming out. I'm really super excited about. It's going to be very emotional. It's going to be very powerful, and it leverages some existing Discovery stories that we says we need to tell that story. So we're going to tell that story. But in the meantime, we've we've we started placing these characters Joula, uh Kili, and uh, um, and some 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 other stuff we've hinted at, and we will end in a arc that is classic Star Trek Online that I hope that that I'm, that, that everyone will enjoy as much as they will enjoy the other ones. What it takes to get there, we're going to build it a little bit different than we have in the past, and it might mean a few episodic stuff. And it might, and it might be like, oh, very opportunistic there. Oh, what are we going to do? Section 31, should we, should be should we tie that in? How can we make that work and tie that into the greater arc? And so, um, so it's been a challenge, bigger than you know than that we haven't faced before, but it's also been far more rich than we've had the opportunity to leverage before.
14: Yeah, definitely. I just would add that the, the the challenge, like it's it's sort of like a double edged sword. There's parts of it, like um, you know, we watch that one episode and we're like,
7: oh, 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 like,
14: yeah. And then there's other ones where you go you after watch the episode, and you're like, there's, wait, there's nothing I can use from that one.
6: <laughs>
14: and it's like you're like, dang it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's exciting too. I mean, I think the uh, and, and
6: and and we we know a lot of what's going to happen on the show yeah we do like, we I, do I, have, well, uh, we have we have, I don't has, <laughs> they don't tell me I have not. on my desk basically uh filmscape of all the episodes, basically a storyboard of everything that's happening. Excuse me, so, <laughs> uh, we have to tackle Elio. We'll be right so, back. <laughs> so we, so we, ha- we, have, we have a lot of information and as a matter of fact, I just had an email conversation with CBS John Vincitters and we'll be meeting again and he's got some other stuff to share with us. So we meet regularly and we said, okay, great, we're going to use that. And I said, John, what about this? I really need to know about this. And he'll tell me, oh yeah, we're, we're not going to do that or this person's going to die or this person's going to do this, and this or this thing is going to happen here. This is okay. Can we can we leverage this? Can we leverage that? So, the other side of this is that we're working way closer with them than we did before. Because before it's like, hey, you want anything? Just go watch the DVDs and figure it out. And maybe they'll send us some assets. But for the most part, we everything was already available. Now it's more working closely, and 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 I think you know, actually. I want to get to the point where, and I don't know when this if this will happen because of logistics. I want to get to the point where. Where you see Section Thirty-One ship show up in the in, in the in, in Discovery and it does something amazing, and then the next week you can you experience that in uh, the game. But that's hard.
7: Yeah.
6: Yeah. Many have tried that. Yeah. Defiance. Yeah. Not and, and, like that. I don't want to try to like it, like no, stuff no. that defiance right. does happens well, in the, and the game thing, and then the characters from that the I, game I, show up in the movie.
2: I, I always talk about is when people ask about you know why we can't do that kind of stuff is because. You know, when we see a Section 31 ship do something really cool on screen, then we have to hand it off to, you know, Jet to design uh, how the ship in-game does that cool thing, and then we yeah, have to have someone do the art. It takes time. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, um, I am often jealous of uh, some of our, our friends in the Star Trek gaming world who can, you know, uh, write a couple of stats for something and draw a pretty picture and have the thing in their game. Because um, it, just, it just takes us time to make the cool stuff we
4: do. We've actually got quite a lot of questions from members of the community uh, for you, you guys. Wanna, you want
9: to go
6: lightning round?
4: Yeah, go that's, lightning round. let's go lightning round. Let's spend about 10 15 minutes and just kind of rattle through a few of these. So and, don't be and, so so don't we should try to be less bad.
2: loquacious, is what you're saying.
4: <laughs> I want one word answers. Uh, yes. Body language works. Um, <laughs> and, and we'll see what happens. Okay, so the first one uh, from our patron, Christopher Keene. When can we see the return of the challenge player option? Uh, me and the guys I roll with miss it.
11: Soon.
6: But not TM. as soon as you think. But
2: soon. Okay. <laughs> soon, okay. soon TM, not yeah. soon as we are saying?
6: It
11: broke.
2: We were on fixing fix it. Okay. Soon
3: 2019 soon? Or?
6: Uh, That's soon, too long of an answer. Sorry. Sorry.
2: too long of an answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like fighting man. You got your answer. Soon, thank you for reminding me I'm going to go rattle the bars of Keats' Cage after, yeah. uh, on Monday soon. Fair. Uh, the Hayden family are another
3: patron of ours. Writes in any plans to let us promote our bridge officers to the rank of captain
6: and let them accompany us on space missions? Et if you've been here before, that's been on my whiteboard for nine years. Yeah, that almost made it into Victory's life. It actually did. Yeah, and the fact that we have the ability to make that—that uh, uh, we, that we have—you can start with level sixty character on, as a as a gemidar. That technology is a step in that direction.
4: Uh, Ray Borg asks, will you in the future increase the inventory slots in STO, uh with new equipment and consoles always coming out? It would make a big difference in deciding whether you're going to delete items to make room.
6: Uh, and inventory is not a design decision. It's purely database limitations because yeah. the more inventory spaces you get, then the, the greater the database and the greater the load is purely a technology so- question.
14: I just have to make a joke because Al is always like at the overflow
6: limit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Me too. Yeah, so, so,
2: me too. People on stream yell at me to clean up my inventory, but I can't.
6: It's, so what, what that's about, why we actually charge for it because it is because it is it actually costs us money and it costs us performance every time we increase the inventory size. What about
3: organization? What about, for instance, a tab for? It's not a lightning round question. Cool.
2: Up.
7: Yeah, no <laughs> if you're going to ask for about a tab I'm for asking, pets, you can I'm, walk
6: to Jeremy Jeremy's asking, desk right now
2: asking, and look at the list of yes. things on his whiteboard and it it's on there and he wants to get it done. Like a category, is it like, you know, a clothing
6: tab. That's, that's that's a big, tab. that's a bigger question for Thomas. I don't think we can answer.
2: We it. need a
4: buzzer. For
6: Jeremy, It's a fine feature idea. I don't know. It's a UI question.
4: Okay, from Facebook, Patrick Lapete asks, are they, you, you're the they, I mean, the they. <laughs> are, are they planning on making GPL actually useful?
2: Yes next question <laughs> it's on the oh, list Jeremy wants to do it we'll add more stuff to the store
3: eventually
6: we I, this, you've asked me this question before yeah. I, I, we wanted to I don't know what to do with it yet
3: I'm, yeah. at, I'm adding on to that again uh,
6: the captain's table yeah, that's. I'm, I just, right, is that that's just like. So, okay,
2: so it, let, me, let me say this super fast. Uh, social zones uh, are rough because we spend a lot of time on making them and then people don't use them. Most people just go to ESD or Kronos. Uh, so anything we do that's a social zone, including the captain's table, we have to think about whether people will actually use it or not. And so the, uh, um, the problem with that, with upgrading it, <laughs> is that people will just put those things on the ship or at, at ESD. I had a you know what I had a great idea as I was doing the
3: oh god he's uh, pitching I'm not sure I, 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 I pitched I stop round. let me ask me <laughs> a question
2: um, he hasn't I, been made as, fun of all day it's our time as
3: <laughs> I was doing the, uh, the particle the omega particle collection I was like you know what would be really good is if we could do all three colors from the campus table right like what about that kind of perk
2: that's not a bad idea, actually. I could run that by people. You know, like, instead I, of I, having I,
3: to jump around, if, you know, a yeah. Lifetime player that
2: invested that money... That's actually, that's something I could talk to content about, maybe.
4: Canonically, that makes no sense.
2: Canonically, the Omega <laughs> thing makes no sense. Canonically, the Omega thing <laughs> no, doesn't make any sense, and
3: canonically, the Captain's table makes absolutely no sense. Electra, well, actually, the Captain's table... We will discuss this
2: over dinner, Several why? books.
4: Okay. Very good books. <laughs> We're moving on to the next lightning round question. So, Jess Bun one says, why do oh, events sometimes end a day earlier than at
2: I don't times? know, and it's annoying me, is the answer. Oh, uh, so- I have been trying to track that one down, because uh, especially the Phoenix box on console seems to keep ending a day or two earlier than it's, it's supposed probably to.
6: probably because it's on Greenwich Mean Time.
2: Maybe. I don't know. I have oh, to... Um, time zones. Yeah, you know, Jared and I time have been, be time have been running game. at that one, uh, tilting at windmills. Uh, it's, it's very annoying, and I'm sorry that you have to deal with it.
3: You see, I like Jeff. Jess Bunn's second question. Lever penalties for our TFOs. Uh, people are leaving them and hindering those that stay on to play. Uh, this actually happened to me where I was in the middle of a TFO and somebody left. And even though we all had to leave, we got slapped with a penalty.
2: Mm-hmm. Um we, it, it, I, I don't you know. Can. I
6: don't know. I mean, basically, um, so, you don't have to leave. You can. The TFO will still. I mean, you can't fail a TFO unless you're playing in elite we, mode. When Starbase
2: One was having the issues it was having when it first launched, we we talked a lot about putting some things into place um, uh, that would f- fix that, including a, like if you've played for this certain amount of time or if you're a certain number of members of your team are not present anymore, it would be less of a penalty. I don't know what. The progress on those solutions It was? is really
6: hard to, to to try to make a solution for problems like that that um, penalizes people who are abusing the system without penalizing people who yep. are not abusing the system because if you try to make it so that um, we don't penalize legitimate players you end up opening back doors for exploiters to take advantage of that I don't have a logical solution for a problem like that um
2: which is not to say we're not working on it all the time to come up with a logical solution i mean you but.
6: can keep playing the tfo most tfo's and you can't you won't fail you'll just it just maybe take you just it don't do as well you just don't you yeah. just won't do as yeah. well so which we know um, isn't a perfect solution so I, yeah it's not a per- i'm not saying, i'm not claiming it's a perfect solution but i don't have a better solution at the time being so yeah. Um, I'd love, Did I'd, we come up with a better This is the worst we'll
2: lightning round answer of all time. Yeah. I know. Lightning round, lightning
7: round. All right, so I'm, I'm,
2: Colonel Mustard and uh, John. In the dining room with the wrench.
3: <laughs> asked about temporal recruitment events and Age of Discovery characters. There are no current plans to have a temporal
2: recruitment, recruitment event again. Um, maybe someday, but it's not on the schedule right now. Age of Discovery recruitment event? Um, Johnson. Maybe, but season. not on the schedule right now.
4: Blargity Blarg Blarg asks.
6: <laughs> Best name Best name, name. Best Blarg.
4: Name Will all existing Tier Six ships get converted to scaling ships, and if so, what's the timetable?
6: Uh, eventually. Are we? Are uh, we
2: confirming that? Because that's cool. I'm glad we're confirming that.
6: I have no problem with confirming that. Yeah. I, I didn't, I'm not putting a timetable or what that's what, what form that's going to take, but but um, that is the goal. Is that that we want to try to change all of our ships to, to All of our Tier Six ships, our ships to scaling ships. It is, not, no no not, time time it is not. It is not. It is. But no time.
3: Zag is 1701 asked, how come uh, no 9th anniversary banners on ESD this
2: year? I don't know, and it's really annoying me. <laughs> Let the artist answer the question. Okay, I'm sorry. No, they you know?
14: actually did the work, so I don't know what happened.
2: Yeah. So yeah the, the, banners, really, the, banners no. the banners exist. There's, so there's, there's band some kind of bug that's keeping them from showing up. No, that's what uh, I'm saying. I've like
4: like messaged Jared
2: and Justin it. about it a few times. but yeah, yeah, yeah
4: no, section I, 31. Section or Iconian's.
14: Not, yeah, I couldn't even Well, I, I mean, just to, to, to kind of follow up on that just a little bit more, though, we, we actually had a huge discussion because he was going in there, and he's like, well, do you want me to set this up it just says happy anniversary, and then we don't have to worry about, like, going in every year, and I got to do a thing for a different number, and I was like, well, I don't know, let's at least get to 10. Let's do this until we get to 10, and then maybe we go, all right, you know, it's kind of like being married. Once you get to 10 years, then the next one's 25, you know, like, you don't put, you just do the numbers on the big ones. That'd be awesome.
2: My years. my guess is there's As much as I say, especially if never you and me are both still on. Om- <laughs> uh, <laughs> Twenty five. We're like, oh yeah. Uh, my, my guess is, uh, <laughs> as much as I say, there's never a switch. Uh, I, I, there was a switch that wasn't turned on that made the party patrol event not be not be there for the first couple of days of anniversary. I have a feeling there's another switch that's not flipped, and I just need to get
14: somebody. To switch. Yeah. Well, so the, what's Another what, So this conversation we had that we're like, why don't we have like. Like, where like where's the because like we're like where's the checklist and we're like well it's just always been we remember to do stuff, you know because well no we've had people on the whole time, and then it was just like oh wait what is the thing for that what's the thing for that I mean I I get a free card like I'm not even at year one yet on on the team so but uh, but the uh, it was just a thing where it was like oh yeah I got to do this and then like there's just something we forgot to do that's, I, I think that's and that's it's our. It's all of our bags, but I
3: really think you guys need to switch that on before the end of the anniversary.
2: I agree. Like
3: it's like it's like one of those like it's like one of those superstitious kind. I'm not a superstitious person at
6: all.
2: I, I agree. I we'll
3: agree. just have, we'll Maybe just, it'll be fixed by the time this podcast. No, we'll, I, we'll yeah.
6: do the ninth anniversary next year. <laughs> 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 I'll
14: have uh, I'll have uh, Chris make an effect that, and we'll just we'll, we'll we'll run around and spawn the effect everywhere, and then say there it, it happens on
2: every planet. Yeah. No, but right. I,
14: yeah, we'll look into
6: it. We're, we're, this we're, is really yeah. slow lighting. Let's go. Yeah, okay. no, it's but sorry. This
4: is—we're actually on the last question. <gasps> first. All right, all right. Um, and it's kind of—it's uh, a good one, actually. Oh, so, C Shepherds asks: Will PS4 Xbox crossplay ever be a possibility? Now that Sony appears to be loosening the reins a little bit?
6: No, Nope. just won't be. It's not because we can hate we, you. It's a technical please, issue.
4: Can we insert a sad trombone
7: there, please? It's, it's, it's not well, I because want...
2: we hate you It's because the way it was set up when we first started There,
6: there, 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 there are tons of reasons Why yeah. there are no It's not it's not even just technical reasons There are logistical reasons yeah, there, are, there are certification issues um, It is just there. Uh, you, you You can't Just releasing something on PC If we break something we can fix it the next day If we break it on Xbox we can't fix it for a month we, you know, it is just—it is impractical. Yeah, they're always um, going to be out of sync. They're that, always going to the, be out no of sync, and that is just—and that's just the way our pipeline. The, the like, question yeah.
2: wasn't about PC and console crossplay. The question was about Xbox and PS4 crossplay, same, which is sim- still same,
6: same issue, same, but, yeah. similar is, problems, yeah, uh, issues. Done. And um, so, yeah. Yeah. sorry, it, that I—I—we'd I, I love to, but that is just not—it's not practical yeah. for, for lots of technical and logistical yeah. reasons. So, we had last
3: week, Anthony and I were talking about, and Winters, we were talking about um, Age of Discovery episodes, and we we're talking about that, 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 uh, the confusion that it felt a little awkward figuring out how it is that Captain Killy and the Klingons came over. Uh,
6: and I know that you wanted to talk a little bit about that. Why don't Yeah, why don't... yeah. so I listened to your podcast, and you guys were so close, um, but you seem there definitely some confusion, and it made me feel sad that we didn't get that story completely across. But so let me explain. So, some of it that you got right. Um, so in in uh, in 2256, I think yes, that's right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, 2256. So Discovery um, activates its store, its spore drive and it swaps to the mirror universe. And you can see it duplicates. You can see in the graphic on the show. And that's indicating what happens is the ISS Discovery swap places with the ISS Discovery. First question: ISS Discovery does not have a spore drive. Right. Okay. That doesn't mean they don't have spore tech, but they do not have jumping. They do not have the ability to jump. The only ship that does in canon and ever will um, within canon is the ISS Discovery. USS Discovery.
2: USS
6: Discovery. Discovery. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) So Stamus is the only one that can do that. And we bend that rule for for C-Storm. Prime standards. Yeah. So prime standards. Um, So so the ISS Discovery does not have a a a, 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 a sport jumping drive. Um, so it switches, and what happens is is that is that when the ISS discovery switch swaps, it swaps places in, to where it was, which was near Pavo. And then what happens is what we're told, what Tilly tells us, what I'll say Killy just to just to just to be clear, what Killy tells us is that she was sent to Pavo to die, because in the mirror universe, they've they've already tortured Pavo to their. Uh, and weaponized it and so they've agonized it so it's evil Pablo. now it's or or you know it's been infected with with Terran tech, and and so killie has alluded to the fact that she was sent there on a fool's errand to die um but she gets swapped okay and what happens is that she gets swapped and then we know that Admiral Cromwell says that she thought she saw the Discovery get blown up, and what she actually saw was the ISS Discovery get blown up because it landed in. Because what happens is, when the Sargothas ship blew up, which was commanded by by Kor, he he was summoning a bunch of co- other Core Klingon ships. Okay, and and that's why Discovery's leaving. they they've gotta leave because a whole bunch of Klingon ships are coming. So a whole bunch of uh, a, a, a fleet of Core Klingon ships were heading towards Pavo to help the sarcophagus ship and destroy pavo or whatever they wanted to do so iss discovery ran into these ships and they were blown up and that's what cromwell saw okay what we did is we pulled a kind of yesterday's enterprise story and because when the player gets to pavo in 2409 2410 depending on which player you're playing it actually happens in both times depending on your individual character um, is that There's an ion storm there, and we know that ion storms uh, can cause a link to the mirror universe. There's there's something about ion storms that allows things in the mirror universe to to pass through. We also know that the spore drive, when you travel through the the spore network, you can jump through time. So the ion storm at Pavo and and the swapping of the ships of the ISS Discovery causes causes like a, 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 a tug's... Pulls the ISS Discovery forward in time before it actually goes back in time. So, on the way from Mirror Universe twenty-two fifty-six, it gets pulled forward by the ion storm. That confluence of events, okay, causes causes a mycelium event. That brings oh, you all. Could, you could
14: only see everyone's
6: faces. Let's keep going. Sorry. That brings that brings not only the ISS Discovery. This is better
2: but the, than a lot of Star Trek canon explanations. Al just not using the words like anti time and like residence cascade. All right.
6: So so <laughs> so all so what happens is it's not only that ship is pulled for the ISS Discovery ship is pulled time, but all the, but the the Klingon ships around it as well. So they don't have spore drives, but the, but they mycelium jump into into the future. And so that those are not mirror core; those are prime core, discovery era core ships that were hunting down the discovery, and they think it's the USS Discovery, but it's the ISS Discovery. So that's that's what's there. And then what you do is you you said we got to get them back to where they were, and you set up this 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 little network and um, activate, and you'll notice the storm gets more and more intensified, intensified, and it sends the ISS Discovery and the and all the Klingon ships back to where they go to. Complete their fate where the ISS Discovery ship gets destroyed. Okay.
2: But not Kelly, because she's not. Because,
6: but okay, okay.
3: So, and yes, yeah, yeah, so we get to save. So, Killy. in Discovery, the Discovery is about to make its last jump from Pavo back to Starbase 30 something. 30 something. Right? That's when Lorca does the thing with he, Stamets mm-hmm. and they switch over. So, when USS Discovery in Prime Universe. Is at Pavel. The ISS Discovery is also at in their mirror universe at Pavel. Pavel. Yes. So, Stamets triggers the jump drive.
7: Uh-huh.
3: Right? And, and at this point of the episode, we know that the Klingons are on their way. Yeah. Right? In Prime Universe. The Klingons are on their way to fight the USS Discovery. Yeah. Right. So, the Klingons, under Cole, are on their way to destroy the USS Discovery. Lorca says, Stamets, let's do the final jump. They get out of here! Boom! Final jump. ISS Discovery. They switch. Mm-hmm. But USS get- Discovery never makes it to Starbase. Cornwell believes that the ISS Discovery was blown up at at, at Good Pavo, Nice Pavo, by the coal Coal-clingon. Klingons. Coal Klingons. Okay. Oh, yeah. So that were to that mean. So if she saw the wreckage, doesn't that mean that the ISS Discovery? <laughs> Was fighting our prime line Klingons. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Fighting a Discovery. little while. Yes. At, yes. The so, end,
2: at the end, of the episodes but, that we just released, the as Al just mentioned, the ISS Discovery and the Klingons it was fighting. They were fighting. sent back to twenty two fifty six, where then the Klingons destroy the ISS yes. Discovery, so, so which have is what had, it's sees.
6: One, 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 yeah. one at a time here. So, so, yes. The 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 the, the ISS Discovery uh-huh. and the prime. Timeline: Core Klingons right. take for an, an indiscernible amount of time take a detour to 2409 because of the ion storm. The ion storm yanks them forward in time during that during that because of that mycelium event. So that's pulls them forward in time.
3: So they stay, in there. the ISS is yeah. fighting sarcophagus.
6: You know, well, sarcophagus was destroyed, but yes,
3: yes. But so they're, they're fighting. Those are core Klingons. The core Klingons yeah. in uh, in the right timeline. So that. So I so then so it, they were in they were in the the exact time date for a little while before then getting caught in the ion storm and being flung. Yeah, time traveling. Yeah, time right.
6: travel, yeah. Old, right? Yeah, you know, that's nothing that's, that's
9: important. Yeah, yeah. so, so this just
6: it, this is again. just it, like it, it's just like yesterday's right, Enterprise, right? Right. Where the Enterprise right, C right. gets yes. gets pulled out of time right before you know it. It gets it, a barrage of pl- plasma torpedoes yeah. right, right. pulls it forward and. Pulls it back in uh, forward in time. That battle and, triggers the ion storm. And uh, well, yesterday's Enterprise no ion storm, but right, yes, it right, right, right. gets pulled no, forward no. in time because of because of whatever plasma torpedoes, and it changes the timeline because of it. And they have to send it back to where it was to, to its right. But right. to to the person, the people, the Klingons and Romulans who were there, they never right. even see the, I, the the Enterprise C leave because right. it leaves and then replaces itself like in the same time. And that's exactly what happened to Discovery. It leaves, and the Klingons leave, but then they immediately get replaced. Right. For as Cromwell is concerned, no time has passed. But for them, uh, hours passed while they were in your episode.
7: Okay. All and right. then
6: they go back. For those of you
3: at home, Mike is currently Doc Browning this entire...
6: Yeah, I just, just being the this, but, but Okay, but I get it. So, I see. All right, yeah, so, that's, it's dimensional travel and then...
3: And then time travel. And
6: it's because of the, inter, the, the, the confluence of the ion storm, which is connected to... Uh, <sighs> connects both universes. And the mycelium network, which connects all universes. Yeah. And, and we know... and they interact with time the Micellenecker can cost. Yeah, time. that went
5: woo! Right <laughs> over our heads. Because
6: yeah. we were trying, man, we were, I mean, you Weird. heard, we just could not understand how we... You guys were we- really close, though, but there was just a couple pieces yeah, you weren't yeah. too sure about. Yeah, which Klingons okay. it was, and whether or not it had a mycelium. Right. It
3: was not. It was not Mirror Klingons. Those mirror higher, Alliance. Those were Klingons. not Mirror Alliance Klingons. Those, those, are, those were right.
6: those were the actual core House House Core, core Discovery Era Klingons. Okay, they All got right. pulled forward. Yes, they jumped in because it was. They came through the mycelium network, but they didn't have their own store drive. Right, they just right. fell. They through got the network. sucked in. Right, yeah. Right. Right. Okay.
2: All are right. You, are you taking a picture of my visual
14: aid? <laughs> I mean, we really we we needed we need like. Stamets to do one of his explanations because that, that, it's that like was, it's it like putting like... too
6: much air in a balloon, you know. It's, it's, it's... <laughs> <What>? <laughs> well,
14: no, but it's like the it's like that rapid fire explanation, yeah. and you're like, oh yeah, yeah I think sure, why not? Yeah, yeah, that that was that was that was that was hard it's to get deep. right. Yeah, it, it was, was deep. deep. That was deep. That
3: was deep. Um,
14: well, the whole mycelium stuff is deep. That's like yeah. Right?
3: Well, uh, all right, so open mic time. Anything we didn't talk about that you are eager to discuss? That was
6: what I wanted to discuss, so yeah, all right. that was it. Cool. cool. I'm
2: trying to think if it was anything. No, it's not really anything for me. Watch the streams on Wednesdays, and I talk about
6: stuff. (laughs) Well, just just I guess the only other thing that I'll just add is that you know uh, I think you talked about you know cadence of things and what we release. You'll you'll notice that we're trying to uh, every month we're going to try to release something new, some some events, some some content, something to to enjoy, to keep the game constantly fresh and something exciting to come back to and work towards. Um, And we have a really awesome uh, season. Yeah. Seventeen, yeah, season seventeen. Well,
2: they're not seasons anymore. Can we roll that back? Right, because we're because Age of Discovery is, true, is an expansion oh, that we're yeah, doing yeah. over
6: time. And yeah, so, so it's not Age seasons. of Discovery three. Yeah, um, will be uh, so our third Age of Discovery release uh, coming out later. will be will have a you know really really special story that that we're working on, just starting to work on now. Well,
3: I want to thank you again uh, on behalf of the entire team at Priority One Podcast. Thank you for celebrating. Uh, and allowing us to celebrate our 400th episode with you all here. It's been an absolute blast. We have now been recording for like 10 hours, right? We started you, at 10. Did you remember to hit the record button? I did, did
7: remember to hit the record button. May, <laughs> I, may I briefly
2: say, congratulations on 400 episodes? Thank you. That's. For a thank freaking you. huge accomplishment! Thank you, thank uh, you very podcasting. much. Podcasting—that's amazing. Well yeah, done. It's
3: been—it's been a wild ride, and we're so—you almost
14: um... know what you're doing
3: now. Right? We yeah. almost know. We're,
2: yeah, we almost know what we're
9: doing now. And you figure it out and let us know. Nice, nice idea. Yeah. Sick burn. All
3: right, thank you so very much. Let's go have some dinner.
9: That sounds sounds great. great. Thank
3: you again. Thank you guys. We...
2: <laughs> <laughs> Please leave that in.
3: <laughs> All right. Take care, everybody.
7: Bye,
2: everyone.
4: Bye. Well, that wraps up episode 400 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Captains,
3: after 400 episodes, you know that we love to hear from you. So leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod.
4: Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details.
3: And if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel, where they review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there is something for all Star Trek Online players, new and old follow us on twitch.tv forward slash priority one and if you'd like to join the armada visit Armada.com.
5: this episode of priority one podcast is brought to you by our patrons through patreon.com find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash priority one even if you can't make a financial contribution please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow trekkies it's your support that keeps us going
4: Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps, in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Our
3: 400 episodes would not be possible without the amazing support from our volunteers. People who believe in our production and dedicate their time and talents to ensure that this podcast is produced and published from week to week. Thanks to our audio editors including Brandon Parker, James Golding, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, Skiffy, and Winters. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, for assisting in the writing of our show and social media endeavors. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper, with assistance from Jason Smith. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, Captains, after 400 episodes, we want to thank you, the Star Trek community our listeners, because without your ongoing support over the last eight years, none of this would be possible.
4: Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Su. no. Engage.
3: Stop. Everybody hit stop now.
5: <laughs> so it's a beam up. Of
4: Captain. Enterprise out. Ensure this podcast Thanks. is produced and perfectly published. Promptly. <laughs> <laughs> Perfunctorily. Probably. <laughs> From
12: period <Professionally>. to period. <laughs> Professionally. Preparedness.
3: <prepared-less>, Preparedness.
7: <laughs>
12: okay. Podcast.roddenberry.com.